What is up, you guys, and welcome back to episode 42 of the Lombard Trucking Show, where at time of recording, I'm coming at you live from the Love's Truck Stop here in beautiful Albany, Georgia. Uh, I'm in the mobile studio, uh, the Prima Vista Studios, as I've been recently calling it, in the truck. Uh, so basically, my last trip, I had taken a uh, uh, some freight out of Laredo, Texas, uh, and then I was able to sit on it and hang it home. But its final destination was in Cleveland, and I rolled out of uh, rolled out of Austin on Monday. And I stayed ahead of that horrible ice storm that affected a lot of people throughout the entire uh, southern region region of the United States. Uh, caught some rain east of Dallas, but really I stayed ahead of it and stayed north. I uh, was able to make my delivery Wednesday afternoon, and I got reloaded on Thursday morning out of Delphos, Ohio, and I took two cedars, which is some farm equipment, down to uh, all the way down to South Georgia in, you know, I can't remember the town actually off the top top of my head. Uh, Pelham, Georgia was actually the name of town. Sorry. Pelham, Georgia. And uh, I was actually supposed to get a reload out of Donaldsonville, Georgia, from a John Deere dealership and take it all the way up to Hagerstown, Maryland. But unfortunately, they didn't have anybody to load me Saturday. So I'm hanging out here for the weekend. And now that you're all caught up, if you're watching on YouTube or on Spotify, you'll notice I've got a guest with me again today. A very special guest. Awesome guy that I've bumped paths with, bumped paths with on the trucking Twitter world. Thanks to, uh, you know, my good friend, Gord McGill and crossing with him. I recorded an episode with him a few days ago. If you haven't checked it out, definitely go check it out. Um, and this is an awesome guy here. I'm really honored to have him on. He's, uh, him and I share a lot of the same, uh, passions when it comes to helping the industry. Uh, he currently works for the freight media outlet, freight waves, Mr. Justin Martin. Thank you for joining the show tonight, man. No, thanks for having me. That's awesome. So where, where, where are you at now? Where's home for you? Ocean County, New Jersey. I live in a little town called Little Lake Harbor. Um, my wife's family is from this side of the, the state. We uh, met in Philadelphia back in 2014. Um, that was kind of where I ended up uh, at like the tail end of my trucking career. Uh, prior to that, I was OTR for oh, 10 plus years. I started in 2007. Um, and then by 2014, I kind of had enough. And so I switched from OTR to local. And for the last five years, I've been with the uh, United States Postal Service. Okay, awesome. So you're originally, you're born and raised in New Jersey. No, 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 no. My parents are Air Force. So I'm like a, uh, I'm what you call like an, an American mutt. I was born in D.C. Uh, then we moved to Abilene, Texas, where my sister was born. And my dad retired in 92 after uh, the Gulf War. Uh, moved to Indiana, where his side of the family's from. And then in 97, uh, we moved from Indiana to Florida. And so I, I spent all of my teenage years and most of my 20s in uh, uh, South Florida, west of West Palm Beach. Oh, nice. Awesome. And that's that's where you started your trucking career was South Florida. Well, I apl- I tried to. Um, I had called Schneider because that's – so I'll, I'll give you like the, the brief rundown. Um, graduated high school, and my plan was originally go to film school through um, – a technical school at the time called Full Sail. Um, they're actually a full university now. So at the oh, time, yeah, yeah they, and, they were and, big. Yeah, yeah, they were huge back then because if you you went through them, you didn't get like a degree or anything. You had a certificate of completion, and that was basically a golden ticket to go to like any studio anywhere. And 
I said, I'd like to join you, please. And they said, okay, it'll be $74,000. And I said, um, che- rain check. <laughs> so I just kind of bounced around from retail job to retail job. And um, I had a friend who promised he had a job lined up for me and I uh, quit my job, packed my bags. And then he kind of ghosted me. So I was like, oh, what the hell? And uh, I asked my dad, I was like, what the hell do you, what do you think I should do? And he said, you ever think about doing truck driving? And the reason he suggested it was because in uh, 2000, 2005, uh, my parents joined Schneider and they had this idea that they were going to get their CD. My dad had been a truck driver for a little while prior. Um, that was one of his jobs after the Gulf War. He, you know, like a lot of vets, he really didn't have anything else to do. Um, so he got his CDL through Schneider back in the nineties, only drove maybe I think six months with them if that. Um, but when the two of them were going to team together, they were going to travel the country and, you know, see the sites and we had friends and family all over the country. So they, they were never going to be more than, 100 to 200 miles away from anyone at any given time and then they were going to ride off their sunset years in the truck together and that lasted about four months <laughs> my nice. dad was uh well, my mom was sick and tired my mom was terrified of driving through the snow and in mountains and stuff and my dad said like that the cab just gets smaller and smaller and smaller the longer time goes um so they, yeah they that didn't last very long but they had already sold the house in florida bought some acreage in south carolina and that's where they're at now and i on the other hand was like, I'm desperate. I just, I need any kind of job. So I called Schneider and they said, where do you live? And I said, Palm Beach County, Florida. And they said, nope. They have like a line that they draw through half, halfway through the state. And they said, if you live below that line, we won't, they're like, don't even bother applying because the way the, the freight market works, there's tons yeah. of freight going into Florida, but nothing going out. Oh and yeah. So, they talk about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, where my dad's side of the family's from, I, I that summer I moved uh, in with an aunt and uncle of mine and they were gracious enough to Put up with my ass for uh oh can i curse on this i assume so oh, right? yeah this yeah we're big, I, had, I had gord on man oh, oh, oh yeah of course of course <laughs> yeah one of my one of my favorite canadians um we'll, we'll get to him eventually but uh yeah they, they they put up with my bullshit for a couple months uh nicely for them and uh reapplied and i think by yeah by that october i was up in green bay wisconsin uh you know doing donuts in a semi-truck oh that's awesome so you you snart you did end up starting with schneider yeah 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 they were okay, they were awesome. one of the few companies i'd looked at that were um actively hiring like new inexperienced drivers you know no no trucking experience whatsoever needed i and i could drive a you know, i could drive a stick in a car and everything but i never driven anything like that that massive before it was oh, defi- like it was it was definitely a learning experience and this was in what year was this did you end up starting with schneider this is october 2007 october 2007 and then uh yeah where'd you where'd you go from there what was uh what was so, the road? Well, when I when I joined them, it was I kind of had an idea of like how crazy the turnover rate was then. Um, there was eighty. I always fudge the numbers here. It was either the eighty-two or eighty-seven of us in that first group, and the first day there, oh. they do like a you know not not a real in-depth physical, but like you you stick your finger in a heart heartbeat monitor, and they flunked like half the class right there just on the heart rate, blood pressure, and you know how's your breathing. So that was oh, like just half. The, the, yeah, just, just the like, DOT physical, yeah. Not even a DOT. They literally just take you into a room. They measure your heart, your, your resting heart rate. You go and you pick up a box a couple times. You go up and down a couple steps. They measure it again, and it was like, nope, you're out. Um, so half half the class was was failed, and this was people from like every age, ethnicity, you know, every class. And you know, we had everybody that was like home, people from homeless people all the way up to like doctors and lawyers. There was a, there was a guy there that had delivered babies for forty years. Oh, and yeah, that, that's a, trucking. 
Yeah, and a, a lot of the older people, this was kind of their like semi-retirement plan. It's like they, you know, it's we we like to joke. It's not breaking rocks, but it's definitely it's still work. You know, dep- depending on where where all you're going. And uh, I think after after the whole two weeks of training and everything, only 17 remained. And I, I think by the time I had left a year and a half later, I was probably the only one still in the company. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, so and, you, and, so you... and I know, I know some of them didn't even, weren't even drug, driving trucks anymore, period. So they just left the industry period. No. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's Cause wild. a lot of people, you know, for me, it, it was desperation. This, this was literally all I had other people because they came into this from other backgrounds. They still had, you know, other plan B's uh, to fall back on. And it was terrible timing too, because it was right before the 2008 recession. Um, so I, I started at Schneider, put in my year and a half and then uh, left them and moved back down to South Florida. And then it was like, well, the whole economy has gone tits up because, you know, people are abandoning their houses left. Remember, this is South Florida. So people would just pack up their bags and leave in the middle of the night, you know, just walk away from their, you know, super inflated mortgages. Um, there wasn't a single trucking company down there that was hiring for like the next six months. Um, I was basically jobless for from like April, I think, till July. And then July, I got lucky. There was a job posting on Craigslist and it was a guy that owned two trucks. And uh, so he would drive one, I would drive the other. And that was, it was great because I wasn't starving anymore, but also um, it, it was like, it was like the, the the two worst ends of the, of the trucking spectrum because at the mega carriers, you're, you're just a number. They literally don't want you to see your name over the phone. It's just like, what's your driver number? Because you're just, you're just numbers to us. And then with him, it was like trying to get paid for anything. It was like pulling teeth. Oh, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was such a nightmare. Um, and then uh, I did I did like three or four loads with him, and I never got paid for the last one. And so I, I, I quit him, and uh, I got a job working at Target, just stocking the freezers there. And I did that from like October to I think January. And then uh, out of nowhere, this like miracle job landed in my lap. This guy I went to high school with, um, his dad – worked for a company that was a DOD contractor. They were hauling military freight. And the way they operate was everybody, all the trucks were team trucks. And the guy that my friend's dad was driving with, he wanted to bring his wife on and spin off into their own separate team. And so he was, he didn't have a partner to drive with. And so this guy, Ryan, I went to high school with, he messages me on Facebook one day and he's like, Hey, you're looking to get back in the truck. I was like, absolutely. What do you got? And so he introduced me to his dad. We met at a, a bar in, in Palm Beach County, Florida had a couple of beers and he told me about the job. And I, I was like, this is, this is way too good to be true. Cause he's, he's telling me like all the kind of stuff that they haul and where they go. And uh, the only thing was you needed a security clearance. So I had to apply and then they put me through the security clearance application process. And other than the postal service, that was like the largest job application I'd ever filled out. My, I mean, it was literally like a phone book. They wanted not just your entire job work history, but like every place you'd ever lived, people you knew that your, 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 your teacher's names, all that stuff. And, and I guess I didn't raise any red flags because a lot of guys, they get, they'll get popped for like the criminal background. Your credit history was like another one. If your, if your credit was bad enough, um, they won't give you a security clearance. My only concern was I didn't have bad credit. I had like no credit. I didn't have like a, a house or a car or anything at the time. Which but is way I, better at the end of the day. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I no, guess that's... so. But then, uh, you know, Two years after working with them, the uh, Office of Personnel Management gets hacked by the Chinese government. So I get free credit reporting uh, or free credit monitoring for life, courtesy of Uncle Sam, because uh, my identity and, uh, and millions of others were, were hacked during this this uh, stupid leak. So, but yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they got... <laughs> Not awesome, they got, but well, kinda, that, they, that's they crazy that that even happened. 
Yeah, it was, a, and it was a pretty big league too because it was like everybody's names, socials, um, your banking info. I mean, literally everything. And if this that, happened to me. <laughs> if you had a security clearance, or if you worked for a federal federal agency, probably. Yeah, no, I I did have a when I was in the Marines, I was in from 2008 to 2012. Yeah. I did have a security clearance. So. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. you might you uh, definitely should do some googling after this because you <laughs> you might be yeah, owed that, something. Yeah, I might have to figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> shit, I might need to jump um, on that. But that's cool. So all on DOD stuff. So that's yeah. cool. So you got to, did you ever go to Camp Lejeune or anything like oh, yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Been to Lejeune, been to all, all the major ones. Um, Pendleton was my favorite as far as like all the, all the Marine Corps bases I went to. Um, so, so the first two years I was with this company, I, I drove with this, this guy, Charlie um, and Charlie and I, you know, bit of a generation gap difference. I was also a couple of years older than his son. So it was like, you know, he's an older guy, he's a boomer. So you're kind of dealing with it with, with that kind of stuff that goes along with it. Um, but for the most part, I'd say like 99% of the time we got along fine. Um, and then he quit um, while we were on Christmas break two years later uh, for health reasons. He got like a big diabetes scare from his uh, his doctor. So he, he bounced. And um, sadly, I think two years later, he, he passed away. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I had been texting him for a while and he wasn't responding. And I was like, what the hell? And then uh, I went on his, I, we weren't friends on Facebook, but I went to his Facebook profile and I, I saw like you know, he had passed and everything. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah, I've I've seen that before. I hate that. Yeah. And um, I bounced. So after Charlie had quit up until the spring, they would team me up with random people that were already with the company. Um, So I did a couple of weeks with with different drivers. And then there was a hazardous waste material company just outside of Tracy, California, where this company was based. They just got out of business and they had a bunch of drivers, you know, that were driving for them. So they had, hazmats they already had security clearances so they would have been a perfect fit with our company um and they teamed me with one of the guys and man he could not drive worth a shit he got us lost he almost dumped us into so when you when you pull up to different bases have different security processes but a lot of them they'll have what basically looks like a pit you drive on top of and there's a guy underneath like checking for explosives under your truck and at the end of that pit there's one guy you know doing either this or this you know telling you how to turn your wheel and I'm sitting in the bunk and I'm watching this guy and he's doing like little tiny waves and it's like big waves. And, and I felt the trailer like go like this. I'm like, Oh my God, dude, you're going to fucking dump us into the, into the thing. So we get loaded and we get out of there and he gets us lost on base. It was just like one nightmare thing after another. So I, I kind of understood why that company had gone out of business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I come, I'm on the phone with our dispatchers. I'm like, dude, don't hire any of these guys. You gotta, you gotta cut them all loose. Um, so that was, that was like my first introduction to being like an instructor too, was like, you know, trying to retrain these guys. And some, some guys did, they just should not be driving a truck whatsoever. Oh um, no. Yeah. But I believe that. So what, what made you leave that job? I mean, that's pretty cool. You're driving explosives, so, ammunition. Yeah. What, what made you. So after, so after I was teamed up with those random guys, my, um, my dad was actually trying to get back into truck driving. Um, he was looking at retiring within the next 10 years and wanted something to do to, you know, bid out the rest of his time. And I said, why don't you try, you know, being a truck driver? So he was applying at different places where he was at. And this was 2012 by, by this time. And nobody would hire him. Like he, he had a great, he had a, a great record and everything, but he, he hadn't been behind the wheel in like 10 plus years. And it, oh, every, yeah, every place. Yeah. And every place. experience. It, yeah. It was, it was, it was so, so torture. Like my, you know, my dad's a great driver, but they wanted recent experience. And I said, why don't you apply for the company I drive for? You know, we'll, we'll drive together. I'll vouch for you. You, you know, you, you can drive just fine. So, um, yeah, the last two years I was over the road, I drove with my dad and that was fun. 
That was really, really fun. Um, even better, because he's retired Air Force, every base that we go to, he just has to show them his military ID. And they're like, oh, welcome back, Master Sergeant. Come on in. Oh, yeah. Whereas, that's a- whereas when Charlie and I were driving together, because we were both civilians, um, we had to go through like the whole security. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a much pain. It's a bigger pain in the ass to get into a base if you're a civilian versus, you know, military. It was just come right on in. Yeah. And, so for- and we got to stay on, it's either, was it TLQ or TQL? Temporary, TL, it's TLQ, right? Temporary living quarters. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, I know what you're talking about because I think when, uh, at least I know where officers stay is like the BOQ. But yeah, temporary living. Basically, it's a uh, like a trans a transitional barracks. Yeah, building that you stayed in. Well, some of them because it, that's what my dad was assuming they were. It was like a but, hotel, right? Yes, yes. So like yeah, we, yeah. We, we stayed we stayed at the one at the Pen- at Pendleton. Man, what a nice place! And for nothing, it was like thirteen dollars a night. I think we paid. Versus if we'd stayed at a hotel off base, it's like, you know, $200 plus per night. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it, be, and it, it, it was really nice. So a lot of guys, when they when they go through their career and they retire, they just buy a camper and just, you know, cruise around the country and stay at bases. It's, it's really cheap doing it that way. Yeah, that's – yeah, I – I've th- I think about that often about that that setup. How you can do twenty years and basically, I mean, you can live on that and just live van life if you really want to yep. after retirement. That's cool. You got to go to all those bases. So you drove with your dad, and mm-hmm. uh, then what? How'd you get to one of the postal service? One of the, so one of the summers while I was with that job, we were delivering or, or we were attempting to deliver a load to um, an Air Force base uh, just north of Philly. I'm trying. I'm blanking on the name. Um, Willow, Willow Grove. We were at Willow Grove Air Force Base. And it was the Thursday before 4th of July. And we were assuming that the base would be open. And we get there and like the whole place is gone. Like it was literally like one guard. And he's like, everyone's gone. They have nobody here to like unload you. So we dropped the base. They were, they let us into the base. We dropped a trailer in their secure hold and we bobtailed out and we stayed at a hotel uh, just outside of Philadelphia. And I knew people from when I lived in Florida, they had moved to Philadelphia and they all worked at this company called Newgrounds. And they were, Newgrounds was like a website from the early days of the internet where. Oh, everything... I remember Newgrounds. Like, yeah, yeah. Newgrounds, yeah, yeah. E-Bombs World. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. And so that was kind of like my introduction to pre my pr- prior to my trucking life. I was like one of those like, you know, terminally online, like guys just, you know, con- I was my, my GPA went from like B average to like D average as soon as Newgrounds came out. And I, I, I tell the guys there all the time that you you are responsible for <laughs> everything for my life after high school. And uh, so I, I knew all the guys that worked there and I knew a bunch of the guys that made content for the site. And so I'm kind of stuck in the next town over from where the office for Newgrounds is located. Uh, so I texted a friend of mine. And I was like, "Hey, man, long time no see. I'm I'm stuck, uh, you know, in Willow Grove uh, for the whole next week, basically. Do you want to hang out?" And he's like, "Sure." Gives me the directions on how to get to the Newgrounds office. I take the transit over there, and um, I met the guys uh, that worked there for the first time. And we went out for pizza and beers that night. Uh, I told them about being a truck driver, and um, they loved all the stories I had to tell. And uh, they invited me to go tubing with them uh, down the Delaware River the next day. And um, Either that night or the night before, night after, I think it was Fourth uh, of July, and we went to not Center City, Philadelphia, not downtown. No one ever says mm-hmm. downtown. If anyone tells you downtown Philadelphia, they're full of shit. They're not from Philly. It's Center City. So we went yeah, to we went, we, yeah, we went down to Center City, watched the fireworks, and I I kind of had it in the back of my head, and I was like, if I'm ever gonna pick a, a city to like settle down with, it'll it'll probably be uh, be Philadelphia. And um, two years after my dad and I had been driving together, we were kind of in like this weird 
the point where we either wanted to buy our own truck and um, we were looking at ex- expediter trucks. We, we really wanted to get an expediter with like a you know nice big queen sleeper and everything on it. And then either stay with our company or lease onto FedEx or just kind of, you know, get out of the trucks period. And um, we approached our boss, Steve at the time. And we told him like, Hey, we want to buy a, an expediter truck and, you know, lease on with you guys. And he shot us down because he, he prefers to haul um, trucks that have a dramatory box on them with a, an attached trailer. That way you can haul mixed, mixed hazardous loads. Um, so he didn't, he didn't like the idea of us doing sprinter vans. Um, and then at the same time, he shot us down. Uh, my friends that I had met with uh, that weekend in Philadelphia texted me and they're like, Hey, this guy just moved out of our place. So we have a room available if you want to uh, move in. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. So been uh, been with Philly ever since. Um, when I first moved to Philly, I was working, um, I'd worked, I'd, I'd applied for a, a company called New Century. Um, they had this new pool supply account that they had opened up. And the job said it was supposed to be local. You know, so I'd be home every night. And uh, about a week before the the orientation, they, they emailed me saying, oh, there's been a slight change. It's, it's going to be semi-regional now. And I'm like, okay, what the hell is semi-regional? And they're like, oh, you'll be out like three or four days and then and then you'll be home for two. I was like, okay, guys, that's not local. That's not what I applied for. Um, but I, I did two or three days there and it was all LTL work. And man, every freaking day is like a 15, 16 hour day. And they pay per hour, thank God. But I knew then I was, I was going to get burnt out working there. Um, so I quit them. And then I was working at the port in Philadelphia, the, the Packer terminal, and wasn't making anything. It was an easy, easy job. Um, but the guy that I drove for, I, Tom, real nice guy, but he just wasn't paying. It was like 16 an hour hauling cans out of the port of, out of the port. And then just up the road, maybe a mile and a half to this warehouse, uh, we were delivering either giant rolls of paper or giant sacks of nickel ore. And I mean, 20 foot, 20 foot containers that are like 120,000 pounds each. I mean, heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Whoa. And, um, Oh, that nickel ore is probably heavy. Yeah. 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 And real squirrely too. A lot of people don't realize that the shorter the trailer, the more pain in the ass it is to back up. Um, so you get really, you get really good at backing, uh, trying to back those things up. But, um, yeah, I did that. I did that for a few months and, um, I was, I just realized I was like, I'm not, I'm falling behind on my rent. Um, you know, I, I owed the guys I was living with, they, they were gracious enough to like, paid my rent for a little bit, um, you know, cause I was, I was basically broke and, um, I found a job on Craig, again, a Craigslist, um, hauling mail for a mail contractor at the time it was, um, Pat Salmon companies. They're like the biggest, uh, mail contractor at the, at the time. Um, now they go by the name 10 roads. If you ever see the trailer, big, big white trailers is the letter, the number 10 stenciled on the side. Um, oh yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. They're, they are the biggest mail contractor in the country right now. Because what, what happened was Pat Salmon emerged with another company called Hoovastall, and then Hoovastall had merged with another company called Eagle, and it just it just all it, the way the way mail contracts work is like either they go to business or a bigger one just kind of swoops in and like buys up all the contracts and takes all the drivers because that, that happened with me I was with, I was with Pat Salmon and then the um, contract that I was driving on a different company bought bought the rights to that contract so I was still doing the same job day to day I just my paycheck was coming from a different company. Um, and I, I had kept trying to apply to work at the postal service, but there was a issue with my Florida driver's license at the time. Uh, one of the months when I was on the road, um, I had switched my car insurance from Florida to South Carolina, but I still had a Florida driver's license. And um, unbeknownst to me at the time, you need a Florida um, 
insurance policy if you have a license in Florida and your car is registered in Florida. And so I get this letter from the Florida DOT saying you got 30 days to change it back or we're going to cancel your driver's license. Not not suspend it, not do this, but but to straight up cancel it. And I missed that deadline by like three days when I got back. Um, but it was it was it was easy. I just I called my insurance company. They faxed a, a thing over to the DOT, so it was all fixed within a day. And I think I had to pay like a fifty dollar fine. But that put like a little mark on my driver's license record. And so whenever the postal service ran my my record, they go back five years in your driving history. And if you have anything within five years, they just flat out reject your your job application. And so every time I applied, they would reject it. And um, the, the final year when, when the five years had passed, I was like the number one driver. They, they hired me with like 27 other guys at the time. And I was like driver number one. So that was nice because I got to pick whether I stayed, you know, daytime or nighttime driving or if I stayed at the Philadelphia location or the King of Prussia location. Because when they hired when they hired 27 of us, 10, I believe, were kept at Philadelphia and the other seven were sent over to the King of Prussia, which is a, it's a pretty big drive if you're, if you're from Philly. Oh yeah. I know the King of Prussia area because it's, I, I used to work at enterprise rent a car and there was this odd group of people that always one weighed cars from King of Prussia. And I've like looked it up on the map. I know where it's at. I've actually delivered to that Philadelphia USPS facility. I brought cardboard boxes, hmm. like USPS boxes. Like oh, the, the ga- ones that yeah, uh, I I brought them from North Carolina, and I think they went up to that hmm. because the 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 warehouse is in Philadelphia that 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 I that I had went to, and I delivered there. It was a, uh, I was it wasn't too long of a wait time, but I know exactly where that was at. That was that was like two years ago now at this point. You're lucky because I've had guys that I've seen on the door. Um, I think cardboard cardboard equipment they want that off pretty quickly, but if you're ever unfortunate enough to be bringing. Um, APCs, all-purpose containers, the way that they load those on semis um, from outside sources is they collapse them and then they can fit like a thousand of them onto a trailer. Um, so when they unload them, you have to take them off one piece at a time, assemble it, and then and then wheel it off. And it takes a long time. And usually what they'll do is they'll put one guy on the door to do that. And he's getting crazy overtime doing it, taking his sweet oh. time like he should. <laughs> But they don't tell the truck driver anything. They're like, yeah, you'll, you'll be unloaded, you know, in no time. Meanwhile, eight hours goes by and the truck driver's going nuts because, one, he probably doesn't speak English very well and nobody's told him anything. And he can't get inside the building. And yeah, so I'll, always. I'll, I always see these guys on the door all the time. I approach them like, hey, what's up, man? How long have you been waiting? He's like, oh, six hours, man. This sucks. I was like, I'll be right back. And so I go in. I'm like, hey, how much time you guys got on this? And he's like, well, I've been doing this for seven hours. This is fucking sweet. And then I come back out to the driver and I'm like, dude, they're, they're not having you done tonight. And there was one guy I, I talked to, he was on the door. He was from Philly. He was like, I could have dropped this trailer on the door, bobtailed home six hours ago and, you know, got dinner and, and breakfast at home. So I was like, yeah, do that, man. Um, oh, that's yeah, when, wild. When I, when I applied there, I was there right about two and a half years. And then they asked me if I wanted to be a supervisor. I was like, yeah, sure. So I was a supervisor. So you, drove, there for- you started off driving. Um, you started off driving and then they asked you to be a supervisor. What, yeah. what were you, what were you driving? You were still driving a tractor trailer with them yeah. or were you? Yeah. Tra- okay. I didn't know if you were actually in the mail truck, if you were delivering oh, no, mail. No. Yeah. I didn't yeah, know if no, that's no. where you started yet. I was, I was a TTO, a tractor trailer operator. Um, back in the day, say the seventies and eighties, it was like one of the sweetest gigs to get into. Might not have paid as much as like other trucking companies out there, 
but it was all about the benefits. You got, you got your pension, you got your government health insurance, and it's still very much the case. When you compare, especially the starting salary of what the truck, of what the post office pays versus other companies, they're nowhere near like the top end. I, I think at the time, so when I applied, it was twenty three forty seven an hour on the job on the job posting, and then when we got our first paychecks, we looked at our checks and it was twenty one eleven an hour, and we're like, dude, what the hell? And they said, oh, sorry, that that was a screw up on our end. It was, um, you know, they don't post the actual pay period, pay rate. They they post like the pay range. So like the entry level all the way to the top. And we had to, it was one of the, this was one of my first lessons in, into one of the benefits of being in a union was I didn't have to do anything. Our union sued on our behalf. They, they filed a huge grievance because it was, it was like a nationwide thing. And they had to bump us up to a pay rate that, either matched or exceeded the promised salary or promised pay rate when, when we applied, but they froze us at that pay rate until our seniority progression caught up to it. So basically, basically my first three years at the post office, I was making like the same rate all three of those years. I didn't, I didn't get a single, I got, I got a couple of cost of living adjustments, which is like, you know, 10 cents here, five cents here and there. Um, But then once your step increases kick in, that's when your real pay raises go into effect. Um, but uh, if you, if you were like with a, another company and you weren't in a union, like that was, sorry, kid, them's the breaks. Yeah. yeah so it'd be like, oh, whoops, yeah. typo. Yep. And the other thing too, was we were paid by the hour plus overtime plus double time after 10 hours. And I, I'm not saying all trucking companies need to follow that, but, um, it was definitely my first eye opening experience of like how great one, how great it is being paid by the hour and how great it is being paid overtime. Because it totally oh, yeah. changed, it completely changes the dynamics of how you drive. I was so used to just go, 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 get there, you know, because you're you're rushing to beat traffic, you're rushing to beat the clock, and then the faster you get somewhere, the longer your break can be. You know, you'd, you'd rather get to somewhere Friday at 4 p.m., get unloaded, and you got the whole weekend to yourself, versus, you know, if you don't if you don't rush, then you're getting there by like Saturday, and you're you're only catching like a day and a half of rest versus an entire weekend. Whereas at the post office, it was like, slow down. You're paid by the hour, not the mile. And the traffic is insane out here. So you're you're going to be more at risk driving like a maniac. You know, it, it takes guys, it, it, it took me about three months to really kind of slow down and get, get into that groove. Because otherwise, yeah, you, again, you're just, you're just asking for it. Yeah. And realizing, yeah, that, that really the heart of the work, the more you're paying for it in the end, especially in that gig. Because I, uh, now as a, uh, tractor trailer guy with the post office that was a local technically right were you home yeah. every night yeah okay, I, lived, awesome. I was living in south philly at the time and it was about a 12 minute drive from my house to the plant um so be- before i worked at the post office when i was a contractor um i would get in the truck at 4 a.m get to the mail plant get loaded i did all the mail from philadelphia down to north carolina so between 2014 to 2014, 15, 16. So between 2014 and 2017, any any mail that was going from Philadelphia to the Carolinas or vice versa, that was all me. Any any oh, that's awesome. um, yeah any any first class letters and uh, priority parcels. Um, so that that was basically everything that was in my truck. And what they would do is I would go from Philly to uh, Newcastle, Delaware, to another post office there, pick up more mail. And then I would go halfway to Ashland, Virginia. Um, then there was another driver uh, named Bobby. They actually looked like my twin. The first time we met each other, 
he looked like me but with red hair and i was like oh shit so we, we like took selfies and like sent pictures to our moms and been like is there something you want to tell us here <laughs> I'll, after, after this recording i'll send you pictures of because it, it really did, did look like yeah. brothers um but he was coming up from north carolina we, we meet national virginia swap trailers and then go back our separate ways that way both were home every night and we're not doing like the whole entire length because that's, that's a long that's a pretty long truck to be doing every day um, oh yeah, yeah did, no, especially did, with that traffic yeah did, did that for, oh yeah oh my god every day baltimore dc rush hour traffic Twice oh, yeah, a day because I'm I'm hitting Baltimore in the mornings. So but it'd be like 7 a.m. by the time I come through Baltimore. And what what really sucks about that route is every like five minute delay in Philadelphia is like an extra half hour by the time you get that de- <laughs> you get down there. And I would be telling guys like I'm like, I got to go. I can't be waiting on this stupid letter that you're waiting on to come off the machines. I'm like, I got to go now. And so that was, you know, three years of just go, go, go to, you know, being in the post office. And it's like slow 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 and the other thing too is like sure you can rush and you can you can set a pace for yourself but then what that's going to do is that's what's going to be expected of you and this is a job that you're going to be doing for 20 plus years like you don't want to be driving yourself crazy like that so you slow down you take your time you be safe and the mail gets there like there's it's not it's not rocket science yeah absolutely man i i agree with you on that so you but you so you you did that drive for a while and then you became a supervisor were you still driving as a supervisor or what was no so so what happens is once once you get into the office and you're they call it 204b you're you're basically like a temporary supervisor and one of the cardinal sins in the post office and basically any union is crossing crafts you do not ever cross crafts if um you need a pallet or a couple pallets lifted off your truck and there's a forklift over there you do not touch that forklift that is a mail handler's forklift and if you're caught doing that the mail handler's union will file a grievance against the uh, apwu union and they'll win the grievance and they'll get paid for any hours that you that you work and so if i really? say i was yeah oh yeah, yeah and it happens all the time we, we would get guys that would get hurt or sick uh, that were driving trucks then they get put on light duty. So you're either shuffling paperwork in the office or doing whatever. Um, but they had one guy who was just going insane in the office. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be out here. There's too much work to do on the floor. So he'd get down there and any trailers on the doors that had like busted equipment or mail or whatever, he would just start emptying trailers and like clear the dock. And he was doing so much work and doing such a great job at it that the mail handlers union filed a grievance against him because he was, he was really kind of showing just how much work they weren't doing. Oh man. Yeah. That's that. Those are the things about unions. I think people dislike sometimes is that yeah. kind of blue tape. I mean, and cause I've worked in a warehouse before too, at, at one of my last jobs. And it's just like to even think of that being, and I understand where it came from and why it did. And it has to do with protecting the, the other people's work. But I mean, yep. you know, things are probably different. Like, you know, the reason for certain things, you know, that's why we change laws. That's why you change the rules to evolve with the times. And it's like, so that's people's gripes. So awesome. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. But uh, well, so people, people this- say like, oh, that's that's my job or that's so-and-so's job. It's like, well, so-and-so's not doing their job. You know, yeah, what's, exactly. what's, the, what's the point in protecting their jobs if they're not going to be doing the jobs? Yeah, if they're not. And, yeah, and, not and, you, and, you, know, as a, and you know, as a truck driver, when you arrive somewhere, you know, within five minutes, whether that place is run by a union or not. You know, every, everywhere you go, if, if it's if it's not union, you might have to pay a lumper, which, OK, fine. That's that's that is neither here nor there. But you're going to be unloaded quickly. You know, the, my worst. So I'll tell you I'll tell you my worst record. You tell me yours. The longest I ever waited was 18 hours to get loaded. 
I was at, oh, um, wow. I was in Winchester, Winchester, Indiana at a glass, uh, manufacturing place. They, at the time they had the contract to bake the glass bottles for Captain Morgan. And so I'm sitting on this dock waiting to get loaded and 18 hours it takes. And I was taking them from Indiana to Baltimore where they go in a shipping container and then get shipped over to um, Bahamas, I believe. And that's where they would get filled and then sent, sent back. And I told the consignee when I got there, I was like, dude, if you guys are ever expecting anything from these guys on time, like you need, you need to go somewhere else. And they're like, Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at different suppliers. Cause again, you know, if, if, if you're the customer and you're ordering something from someplace and it's taking them, you know, more than a day to even just load the truck. Plus the truck's got to drive another day and a half to get there. Like you're just, you're never going to get anything on time. Yeah. You're torching money. Yeah. Longest I waited was at a union place. And, uh, I mean, I, I feel bad getting angry because the guys looked like they were having a good time, but it was like a flower. <laughs> it was like a flower place. Uh, it was in Oklahoma somewhere. I, I can't, I can't even remember the name of it, but I was picking up like bags of flour and, hmm. um, I, th- and I thought I was going to get out of there quick and they made it sound like it. And I showed up to this place at 9am. Oh no, sorry. It wasn't even 10 hours. It was 12 hours. I showed up to that place at 9am and I wasn't out of there until 9pm. And I remember like sitting there all day and like wondering, and I tried to ask guys and then like, eventually there was a shift change and I was just like, and there was nobody to call. I ended up calling the broker and I'm like, dude, what's mm-hmm. going on here? And they're like, Oh, I'll call somebody. I don't, they didn't call anybody. Like it, I just had to sit. I was just like, you know what? I guess I'm just gonna have to roll with it and fucking take it. I, I knew I was going to be sitting there a while because the type of appointment it was. So Schneider has three different types of appointments. There's ats, ons or buys. So at is like, if it's 7 PM, you got to be there at 7 PM, you know, maybe half hour window earlier. Um, but then there's on, so you, you can deliver by midnight on a certain date or buy. So you can, you can get there early. doesn't matter. Those are typically drop on hooks. So I get this appointment. It's an at appointment. So I'm like, okay, shit, I got to get there. Like, you know, 7 PM on the dot and I get there and the guard weighs me. There's already like a line of trucks to get into this place. So I park, I walk up to the guard shack and I was like, Hey, I'm from such and such. Here's my number. Um, they told me I got to be here, like on the door. And he's like, well, just get in line. So I was like, okay, this is some horse shit. I go inside the place and there's like a couple of tables and they're all just in there playing cards, you know, in the break room. <laughs> so I'm like, Hey guys, I'm, uh, supposed to be getting loaded for such and such. And it was like, everyone you talk to, they, they, they just, they didn't even look at you. They just looked through you. Like you weren't even a, you weren't even a real person there. And they're just like, well, that's not my job. That's, every other word out of that place was, that's not my job. That's not my job. So I was like, fine. I was like, whose job is it? Like, who's this guy I need to be talking to? And they're like, oh, well, he's on lunch. I'm like, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was, was it lunch. was yeah. all the, all the worst like stereotypes of like any kind of union place you can think of was like this place to a T and yes, 18 hours there. So the, I had it like seared in my head of just like, fuck unions. I, I can't stand working with them. But again, going to the post office, you know, you learn very quickly. Like the, if you're in the union and you're operating within the rules of the union, there, there are definitely benefits, but it's when you're, outside of it and you have to interact with them that's that's where the tension comes in yeah that i think that's where the problems are and i agree with that too like it there's there's some people out there especially in the political world they, they do have this altruistic view of of unions uh because of particular and overall in the grand scheme of things i think unions do the best and if you look at history like the you know post-world war ii like they they it's definitely kept wages higher overall like <clears throat> especially in like the trucking world like the the when when there when union membership has been high wages have been higher but also at the same time the interactions w- between private and you know private you know and uh 
private companies and unions was also less. So maybe it didn't happen as much. I don't really, you know, I don't claim to know all the answers, but um, so you did your time with the USPS. Like I said, you know, you, you seem to have liked being a part of that, po- you know, postal workers union, but you're not there anymore. What, yeah. uh, what, what happened? What's going on? So, you know, so six months uh, of being a supervisor, went back in the truck. Uh, I think it was there another two years. And uh, I was just sitting in the truck waiting to get loaded one day and I'm, I'm browsing Twitter and I see this post uh, by uh, this guy named Timothy Dooner, who's now my uh, creative director. And he had a he had a post that said, uh, "Hey, are you a truck driver? Are you good with social media? And can you edit short videos? We're we're looking to launch this new website called Back the Truck Up." And I said, "Okay, that sounds like me." So I DM'd him, and he kind of gave me like the basic rundown of the job. And he says, "You are perfect. You're exactly who we're looking for." And I said, "I don't believe you, but I applied anyway because it was uh, remote. It was 100 percent you know work from home, and that was kind of where everybody at the time was going because it was it was in the middle of COVID." And um, so I, I applied, just not really even thinking thinking I would get it or I would really be interested in it because that prior to that that, that um, holiday season before that was when everybody was like throwing out crazy numbers. Like I was telling my wife at the time, like UPS was offering like thirty two an hour or thirty four an hour. Walmart was hiring at like one hundred and ten or one hundred twenty thousand a year for for nerdy drivers. And like I wasn't making anywhere near that at the post office. I, I you can you can make a really decent living, but um, I didn't work overtime because I just wanted to be home and be there for my kid. And um, uh, what's my train of thought here? So I, I told my wife at the time I was like, the numbers are thrown out. They're pretty good, but I'm still saying no, just because like yeah, I'll be making more money, but it's a lot more work. And then um, when this job with with Freightways popped up, um, the money was the same, so I wouldn't be making any more or less but it was work from home. And so to me, that, that was, that was a big thing. And so Dooner pitched it to me as the, he wanted to create what he called the barstool sports of freight. And that, that clicked. I was like, okay, I'm not a big sports that. guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big sports guy, but I know barstool sports and um, I'm not like, I had never even heard of Freightways before that. Um, I, I talked to a mutual friend of ours, Gordon McGill prior. And uh, he, <laughs> this is the most gourd thing he's ever said. He's like, Oh, freight nerds. What do you, what do you want to do there? And uh, so I kind of gave him like the rundown of the job and he's like, yeah, dude, go for it. So yeah, I uh, did some interviews with them and uh, I've been running the social media for them ever since. It's basically Freightways is like the Bloomberg of, instead of finance, it's the Bloomberg of freight. So if you're a a C-suite executive or uh, owner of like a freight brokerage or a trucking company or a dispatcher, they're, they're basically your, your, Fox business that you're tuned into 24 seven. A lot of, a lot of guys that have freight waves TV on in the office are you know freight brokers and, and trucking companies and stuff. And so they wanted to have a more truck driver oriented site. So any news punditry opinions, they wanted all of that from truck drivers spoken to, so spoken to truck drivers. And that's, that's not as easy to do as it sounds because a lot of the news out there, um, when, when they hired me, they told me that they were also going to be hiring me, another writer, uh, Rooster, and Rachel Premack. And I was, I was, I was like, wait, wait what, do you, what do you mean Rachel Premack? Rachel Premack is like a real person. Like, I'm just some some guy you guys found on Twitter. And, and that was exactly what they, what they wanted. They wanted people that knew trucking in and out and that were trusted by by drivers. They didn't, they didn't want somebody with like, a, you know, they might have a degree in journalism, but then as soon as truck drivers read what they're writing, they're like, no, no, we're not, we're, you know, we're not listening to any of this. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. I was just having that conversation with somebody about that kind of thing with truck drivers. And it's somebody who works in the tech industry. And they said specifically, they're like, yeah, like when you show when you show a truck driver something like it doesn't matter how much work you put into it. If they have one bad experience with it, they'll never touch it again. They'll never look at it again. They'll never use it again. So the second they read your work and they see it's a bunch of shit, they'll be like freight waves. They'll just toss it like. One of the first things I, I talked about, and Gord actually said this was a really good uh, insight the other day. A lot of trucking, any articles that you read about trucking, the first thing you notice, if it's if it's covering the United States trucking industry especially, they use an image of a European truck in the in the article. And the first thing you're going to, as, a, as an American truck driver, the first thing you see that is like, well, if they can't even get that right, you know, what the hell am I going to be reading the rest of this for? Yeah, they'll and, use one of those cab over pictures sometimes. Yes. It'll be like a cab over from like Eastern Europe. <laughs> yep. And the, the reason, and, and again, through no fault of their own, the reason they do that is just because um, whatever company they're working for might use Getty images or Shutterstock or like any of these stock photo image sites. And for whatever dumb reason, a lot of the stock photo sites just use European trucks for their stock <laughs> photos. And if you're not a truck driver, you don't know. To you, a truck is a truck is a truck. But as a truck yeah. driver, that's the first thing you notice is like, what the hell is a European truck doing featured on an article about American the American trucking industry? No, I so love that, it. That, that was, that's that's like one of the first things I do. Like when I, when I see that, I'm like, guys, take that image down, use something else. Because the, 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 the truck drivers are going to see that and, and just call bullshit on it. The article itself could be stellar. You could be talking exactly, you know, the right stuff. But if you can't get even if you can't even get the, the, the cover image right, you know, they're not going to listen to everything else you say. It's, it is wild how even people close to the industry, if they haven't gotten behind the wheel, there's so many things that they they're um, that almost seems like uh, like willfully ignorant that they are mm-hmm. about, like even down to parking. It's like they're working in it. They're working for a media source, like a freight media source. And there's still so much in the industry that they're just like they're like, oh, like I didn't know that. How should I know? And it's like uh, it's it, it 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 is crazy how that that's like. A commonality so so you're you're there now you're at yeah. freight waves back the truck up bar, mm-hmm. you know barstool sports which i get the it, that's the thing is barstool sports kind of what they did in sports media is they sort of kind of made like they made sports exciting like i'm not gonna yeah. lie barstool is the reason why people my age you know in their 30s uh late even early 20s now are like watching golf because they made it very cool so like mm. yeah, what what do you got going on at, at Freight Waves? What are you doing? What is back the truck? Uh, back the truck up. What uh, so, what are you what are you doing? So on on there, we, every day we have a couple articles. You know, the Rooster is basically our content machine on it. The, the guy's an animal. You know, he's just he's out there researching and writing articles every single day. Um, we have a Slack channel for work that we do where we we'll share any interesting videos or articles that we come across, and a lot of the articles. Again, like I said, it's it's we're covering the news, but you know through the eyes of a truck driver. So you might be reading something that happened on like say you know ABC or CNN.com, but the way it's written is like it's a very cut and dry like corporate style speak. Whereas Rooster's a truck driver, and so he's and he's from the South. Um, he's actually in Valdosta, Georgia, so not too too far from where you're at. I spent the night uh, there before. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and so yeah, he he'll put the he'll put the articles out, and then I uh, post them on our on our socials. So I I run our our Twitter, our TikTok, um, uh, Facebook, Instagram, as well. But I I would say the the two that we're mostly selling at are are TikTok and, and Twitter. Um, TikTok for uh, as well for me was that was like my first introduction to TikTok. Joining this job, like I I knew of TikTok, I knew it was a big platform, but I I was never on it. I never 
made any content for it. And the the first one I ever did where it was like my face in front of it, it got like 75,000 views within like the, like six hours. And like, so first of all, like alarm bells start screaming off in my head. I'm like, okay, either I really pissed people off or I said something wrong or there's like something else that we're tapping into here. And I still, you know, I think almost eight months now into this, I, it's, it's still hard to know like what's going to catch and which won't, you know, I, I could be spending hours writing a script and trying to get all my details right on something and I'll put it out and it gets like 50 views. And then other times, like, you know, my, my kid's screaming in the background. I got to like calm him down, put a, put a video out that I hastily put together in two minutes and it'll get half a million views. So you just, you never know, you know, what kind of content you put out there. Uh, we also have a podcast, you know, back truck up. Um, we interview all kinds of people throughout the industry. We, we talk to drivers, we talk to brokers, we talk to executives, we talk to um, people that run charities. Um, last month was the, uh, human trafficking awareness um, month, and we we talked to the one of the founders of Truckers Against Trafficking and the um, deputy director of enforcement at um, uh, CVSA. Which to me was like, okay, first of all, as a truck driver, it's amazing I can even talk to this guy because the first thing I did was like, hey man, how can I get a roll of uh, level one inspection stickers from you? And he got a good good laugh out of that. Um, <laughs> And then the, the conversation itself too was like you know, I knew I knew nothing about human trafficking, so it was a bit of a downer talking talking to, to her because she she knew all these stats and statistics and like what to look out for, and so I'm trying to bring like a little levity to the conversation to keep to keep the mood up. And I uh, towards the end of the podcast, I was like, okay guys, here's how we stop human trafficking tomorrow. You make a golden level one guaranteed for life sticker you put on someone's truck that like has a confirmed case where they stopped a human trafficking uh, incident. And that, that person gets like one nice little gold sticker on the truck where they're set for life. And that guy about fell out of his chair. He's like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to bring it up to my board of directors. Obviously it's never going to happen, but they just, they love that idea. I, it's a good idea. Yeah. If you, if yeah. you actually, call, you know how many, you know how many phone calls that office would get if they found that. Out? Oh yeah. yeah. Like, I saw this little girl at the Burger King. Well, and so the, what was, what was great about that episode too was, um, Oh God, I'm so mad that I'm blanking on her name. That's the problem with doing this at uh, 10 o'clock at night. Um, I'm going to hastily look it up here while I'm talking about it. She actually gave us like some of the cues to look out for um, when you, when you come across human trafficking, because most people understand like, okay, it's not necessarily going to be like the lot lizard that you see in the, in the truck stop looking, looking for somebody. Um, Kyla Lanier, that was her name. She's the deputy director and senior director at uh, truckers against trafficking. And, one of the ones that she mentioned was if you're in line at the convenience store and you see somebody put an item on the counter, but then back away and have somebody else pay for it, that's a sign of control. That's, that's like, you know, for her, that would be like a red flag. That might be somebody who's being, who's being human trafficked. Um, RVs that are parked, you know, where they're not supposed to be, you know, there's nothing worse that truck drivers hate than getting into a rest area. And there's a goddamn RV parked in one of the truck spots. RV the, and box truck. I'm like, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, you don't fucking belong here. Exactly. And there's there's a greater than 0% chance that that RV might be, you know, a, a sex shop set up uh, to, yeah. you know, put – because what they'll do is they'll put ads out online on, like, these dark web websites. And they, she calls them they, – they, they'll host truck driver specials. And uh, – and, or they'll put them out, out over the CB. You know, and they'll say, hey, we're parked at address XYZ. Come on over. Have a good time. And they, they, they busted all kinds of – cases uh in, in that exact same situation exact same scenario 
Yeah, it's I, we got a big human trafficking thing when I moved my truck into Lisan with Warren, uh, and I found this out, which is an alarming stat that the TA. I'm sure you've been down to Laredo before. Mm-hmm. Um, oh the, yeah, the, I imagine Laredo. Yeah, the TA and Flying J in Laredo off Exit 13, an estimated two to four people per night go missing from from there. And they give us that stat, and it's you know it's a it's an alarming thing, and it's like I said, it happens right on our upper lip because it's so. Yeah. Why 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 would you? I mean, unless you're look, like, why would I be looking for that? I'm not looking for people in danger. Like just the way they're buying something at a store. There's so many families that come through here. I mean, it's it's yeah. a tough thing. But that's that's wild. That's a, that's cool that you got to you got to meet these people though. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing opportunity because again, like I was for the longest time, I called it meat in the seat. You know, I was basically just a driver bumping along not really, you know, caring or having, you know, paying attention d- too deeply to anything. And when this, when this job, uh, job opening opportunity popped up, I kind of realized that like, okay, I'm kind of, I've been given like a really powerful platform and it's an awesome opportunity and responsibility. And, you know, I, I try the best that I can to not screw it up because we're, when they send us out to, you know, these big live events and stuff, there's, you know, presidents and vice presidents of these, these big carriers out there. And like, I get to talk to them face to face and say, you know, exactly what's, what's happening in the industry. And um, there's not, there's not often times where somebody at my low level as a truck driver can talk to somebody at that level. And it's, it's, it's been great. I have, I've had awesome conversations. Um, I talked to a lot of the people at Amazon recently. They honestly, terrify me a little bit amazon i don't know where they find these people but they're all just incredible at what they do with their jobs and uh they're definitely a force to be reckoned with at the moment oh yeah i'd say yeah they're they're definitely a powerhouse that i i bitch and talk a lot of shit about amazon i've talked a lot of shit about like jeff bezos and amazon on on other episodes uh you know i i don't agree with you know their system i call it i've said it on other episodes before i call amazon the new plantation um you know, like, uh, I don't know if you want to be affiliated with me saying that you don't have to endorse that statement, but that's kind of how I view them. But that's that's specifically what uh, when we cross paths on the Internet, what I loved is the platform you do have now mm-hmm. and that the fact that you were a driver and that you're able to go in the face of some of these big companies, because that's what I think a huge problem is, is there's a lot of issues in our industry yeah. and you're kind of taking them and you're trying to really put them on the forefront and have people know about this stuff. And it's what, and the, the thing is the people who can solve the issues know what the issues are and they're not doing anything. And the, what the problem is, is nobody knows that they, they know the, like when it comes to the turnover, you know, the media sells it as a driver shortage. It's the big companies who are telling the media to sell it as a, a shortage when it's a turnover issue. And so the, like these big companies know the issues and they willingly ignore them. And what it's doing is it's actually costing people their livelihoods, their lives and accidents. They're not getting paid what they deserve. And you're bringing it, you're bringing it right to their face. I would, I would go, I would separate that by just one degree because it's not technically the companies themselves that are saying that it's the ATA. And of course they're, again they're they're you know paid for by the, by the large carriers so but but yeah that um the last tiktok that i did that, that like really took off was basically saying like hey if you're if you're watching the news or if you're reading a news article and you see somebody say eighty thousand drivers that that's a talking point from the ata and they've been saying that for years and years and years now and drivers and other journalists that actually know what they're talking about with this 
topic. They've been pushing back on that for years. And it's finally kind of people are starting to realize, okay, it's not really a shortage. It's, it's a turnover rate issue that you, you, you mentioned. Um, but it's, it's an uphill battle because even, even today, if you, if you just go to Google and you type in 80,000 driver shortage, it's just article after article like recently, like, you know, today, yesterday, a week ago, all still saying the same thing. And I'll, I email these guys because I have, you know, a freight waves email address. I say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a truck driver. I'm a producer with, with freight waves. And I just want to talk to the art, the author of this article saying, you know, you know, this, this isn't technically correct. You know, and I, I think it's, it's a lot better hearing it from somebody like me versus like, you know, truck driver 23737 on Twitter screaming, yeah, you're getting this all wrong. You know, and sometimes, sometimes they will write back and so they'll say, okay, thanks for the input. And uh, that's actually how Rachel um, kind of got where she's at in the industry now too. She worked at business insider and she did a couple articles about trucking. And again, said like the whole driver shortage thing and her inbox was just flooded with drivers. And you go, you're wrong on this. You're wrong on that. And rather than, tell the drivers, eh, get lost. This is what the experts are saying. She was like, okay, there must be something here because you, you don't just get this many people all saying the same thing, hammering it to you one after another without, you know, a little bit of a truth in this. And it doesn't take much digging whatsoever uh, to really debunk a lot of this stuff too. It's just yeah. the, the, what happens is these journalists aren't, you know, they're paid by the article. So they're, they're incentivized to just crank out content like they like they can. And rather than spend the time to research this stuff, because one, they don't have the time, they'll just email somebody at the ATA and they'll say, Hey, what's, you know, what's, what's the official stance on issue X, Y, Z. And they just copy and paste whatever the ATA is saying. And we're trying to tell them the ATA isn't looking out for truck drivers. They're looking out for the, the big companies. Yeah, um, I, I have a really big bone to pick. Time. Yeah. And I have a big bone to pick with their um, chief economist. I'm, I'm blanking on the guy's name, um, but he had a quote last year. Uh, that Rachel featured one of our articles saying that, you know, one of the biggest issues with the trucking industry right now is we're just not working the truck drivers hard enough. And I, I just like my mind just exploded at that. Quote. I was like, how, how freaking dare you? Like that's, that's just the most asinine thing you can say. Because what, what they'll do is they'll, they'll crunch the numbers and they'll see how many trucks are sitting idle. And rather than notice like, okay, the reason these trucks are all sitting idle is because they're waiting to be loaded or unloaded at these facilities. Yeah. So rather than rather regulations, than have, they let go. It yeah. happened. Well, and rather and rather than tell the warehouses, hey guys, get get your shit together, get these drivers unloaded, or start paying the truck drivers overtime because you're holding them up for so long, they just say, oh well, the problem is we're just not working the working the drivers hard enough. It's like yeah. no, oh, they're, the, the oh, drivers they're lazy. Will, yeah. The drivers will work as hard as they want if you let them. It's just you know you get to, like we said, eighteen hours sitting there waiting. You know you have no you have no control over how long you're going to be sitting waiting to get loaded or unloaded at some place, and that's that's why for me right now my my biggest. Uh, pet issue is one getting getting drivers paid by the hour or at least overtime and having the companies that hold them up be held accountable because the, yeah, issue, was, the, issue, the issue right now is there's there's so many carriers out there that if a, if a company goes into a warehouse and they're holding up six of their drivers and they say hey if you don't get our drivers unloaded and out of here we're never going back there the warehouse will just go okay fine there, there's literally like 800 other carriers i can pick up the phone and call tomorrow and they'll, they'll be more than happy to you know pick up these routes instead of you and so Which, if you, if, no, go ahead. That's, that, no, I'm saying that's, that's why we need, you know, because some people say, you know, people keep saying, you know, and like our, you know, friends of ours, like Gord and other more libertarian minded people. And, you know, I, you know, there's a lot of libertarian values I do agree with. Like I said, I don't really fall under the, uh, a certain 
political perspective ideology. I just care about this country and think people deserve what's, what's, you know, what's owed to them for what they work hard. But like, you know, to, so when you hear government intervention, people get turned off. But the thing yeah. is we have to realize we're in an industry that the government has already intervened itself with very invasively, yeah. just like the airlines and the railroads. So like, we can't just be like, Oh, the government just needs to back off. It's like, no, the government's fully in on this. So it's like, what needs to happen is they needed, if they're going to be in on this industry and regulate it, then or if they already regulate everything that has to do with it. So if they want to be in, they can't just be like, Oh, well, we need to back off about that because we're going to back off about this. Cause we're, you know, we don't want to do anything cause we don't want to intervene. It's like, no, you've already intervened. That's why yeah. when it comes to these wait times and trucker pay, they do, they do need to step in at this point because it's becoming an issue. Well, and it was either Gord or somebody Gord had um, referenced, but they, they really hit on that when, when trucking was deregulated, none of this stuff went away. It was just all shuffled onto the drivers. So now, you know, instead of, Instead of the companies having to pay the drivers or the shippers and receivers paying the companies to pay the drivers, all the the expenses of all this stuff was basically just, you know, shuffled onto the drivers. So the yeah, driver's the one who, yeah, the driver's the one burning up all their hours. The driver's the one taking the, you know, the the pay cut for not being paid for all those hours sitting. Um, and, and unless everyone else is forced to, to be on a level playing field, I, I just don't see that being fixed. Yeah, the because the the mega carriers are still getting paid, the shippers and receivers still getting paid, and that's what you know. I've talked about it in a few episodes. I made a YouTube video about it, and what's crazy is there there really is only two options. And I'm curious what you think, where we need to go, or what directions, or what you're doing at Freight Waves. But I've made a video saying because all it would take is 50 drivers from Werner to contact the Teamsters. The Teamsters could invade the mega carriers. They really could. It would take 50 guys. They did it at Home Depot out in California. Mm. 25 guys, you know, became affiliates out there at a Home Depot in San Diego. I got I to like really... Just, I got to really stroke my beard on this one here. Get my, get my um, Carl Marx because on. A lot of guys do. Yeah. A lot of guys do say union is the answer. Like, let's go back. You know, I, I told you before the episode, my family's company was a Teamster affiliate. Guys spent 30 years there, had a career, were proud to do it. Yeah, they, it was LTL. They weren't over the road. But that's the thing. Maybe like the answer, maybe, the answer is similar to the railroad. Why aren't the mega carriers unionized and what's stopping them? I'm sure they spend a lot of money paying to, but if 50 guys got together at Werner or Schneider and the, and they got the teamsters together, they could make it happen, especially with the mate, the way the media would highlight it as a good thing. The only other answer we have is these legislation, like the guaranteeing for truck roller times act, like the government will need to intervene and implement and have, they're going to have to remove the FLSA exemption. So yeah, what do, what do you think? And what have you been writing about? You know, how, how could, cause this, where we're at now isn't sustainable supply chain wise. So, you know, uh, well, it, think- it would have to, it would have to take a lot more than 50 guys, especially at Werner, you know, 50 is nothing. Like I said, when I, when I was hired on, it was uh, four, uh, 84 of us or 87. And then within two weeks, you know, it was whittled down to 17. So the, the, the attrition rate that they have at a company like Werner, 50 drivers is nothing. They, they probably lose 50 drivers a week over there. Um, it, so it, one, it would have to take a lot more than that. Two, I think the quality of leadership in the, in the unions, especially in the Teamsters, especially, especially in the Teamsters, has just never recovered from like the Jimmy Hoffa days. You know, when I was at the Postal Service, because I'm in the Northeast in Philly, a lot of guys that I work with were former Hoffa guys. And they would tell me 
crazy, crazy stories of the shit that they would get away with um, as far as like other companies coming onto their turf or, you know, company bosses telling them like, okay, this is, this is how things are going to be. The unions would like, like, I'll give you an example. When, when all the rail worker strike stuff started happening and then the, the executives went to wall street and they bragged that the labor of all the employees at the rail companies attributed nothing to like the record profits had the union leadership present in the Hoffa days been present today every single rail line and rail car in the country would have been ripped to shreds with cutting torches like overnight uh, see i love and, that shit and it needed I'm, t- I'm telling you that's the kind of stuff that needed to happen and there's today everyone is so either either you have the seniority there and you're just trying to ride out your time to retirement or you're so junior there that you don't really have one one the experience or two the voice to really say that kind of stuff and I, I think it's especially in the, in the rail industry, that's, that's kind of where they're hurting right now. All these, all these guys, the new guys coming in, it's a constant churn. And then all the senior guys that I made regular, you know, decades ago, they're, they're kind of set for life. Same thing in the postal service. The difference with the postal service is that because we're federal employees, it was illegal for us to strike to begin with. And also it's, you know, the, the days of like the eighties and seventies when like the work was really bad and guys were coming in and shooting up the place left and right where, going postal came from those days those days are long past it's you know it's it's a much easier job today especially compared to everything else that's out there now but they still have the same issues with a lot of these um union up places where everyone there that's regular or senior they're they're pretty much set for life but the the constant churn of casuals and you know whatever whatever the term they want to use for them the people that haven't made you know a regular spot for themselves yet and they're on like some kind of waiting list those guys are constantly churning in and out and it's, 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 it's a never ending cycle. Um, so I, yeah, there would have to be either completely radical, every single person in a leadership position in every union that wants to like try to get together, they all got to go. Or people would have to start another union and, and go, go that way. And I, I, I really? think the, I think, I think the people that you would need to draw from to found that union are guys that still have the operating memory of what things were like, you know, in the, in the Hoffa days of the, of the Teamsters. And, and yeah, and good luck with that because yeah, really, I yeah. mean, they're, you know, th- that's the thing they're it's so they're waiting for those, pe- they're waiting for those people to die. They need them to die because they don't yeah. want, they don't want anything like that to happen again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's, in- and it's been so long since anything like that has existed in this country. So, so I'll give you an example. So I, you know, growing up in South Florida, Florida is an at will state. And unless you're like working for the county or you're a sheriff's deputy or something, nobody I knew down there was in a union. You know, that that whole like the Northeast mentality of like everybody knew as somebody who was either their brother, their cousins or whatever, their dad. Everybody was in a union. They had a great pension. So they, they still have like that institutional memory of like how great things were being in a union. But in the South, that does that just doesn't exist. And and most oh, yeah. people and most people have like the the memory of everybody that works in unions are just in the union because they're they're lazy slobs. Yeah, that's it. it's it is funny how regionally it is different. I mean, basically, yeah. yeah once east of the Mississippi and north of the Mason Dixon, it was common because you know you figure the Rust Belt guys, the Michigan, Ohio's, yep. um, Pennsylvania, the coal miners, like they they all that yeah in the Northeast, but yeah down down below their view change so basically you're saying so yeah you, unions can't be the full answer mainly from a leadership perspective so 
you know, what's how else can we tackle the pay issue? Because I think I think number for any job, pay is the number one issue. We could talk about parking, we could talk about all the you know the ELD mandates, um, but really, you know, people respond to incentives. You know, yeah. pe- people are I, there. I, for, we're all we're all working for money at the end I, of the day. I, I think the I think the first thing would just be getting the message out there because most drivers have been paid by the mile instead of the hour for so long. That's just kind of what they've gotten used to. It's it's always the double you know versus the double you don't. And I've been in the position where I've been paid by the mile, I've been paid percentage, I've been paid salary, and I've been paid hourly, and 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 you know with and without overtime. And so for me, um, I would I would say definitely hourly plus overtime was like the best best of all worlds because now you're you know if you, if you hit tra- especially today with like ELDs, you know if you hit traffic and you're stuck somewhere for three hours, that's three hours you're not getting paid. You know, and then you got to drive even faster to try and get to where you, you were planning on parking for the night. Whereas when I was at the postal service, if I hit traffic, it's like sweet, I'm just getting paid. I'm getting paid extra for this. You know, and, yeah, it, it out. and you st- and you still have to rem- you have to constantly remind yourself. Like it, it's it's obviously it's easy to say that, but like when you're in stuck in that traffic, it's still like a nightmare. But yeah, I, I think going forward, um, more more and more drivers need to talk to drivers to talk to other drivers who have been paid by the hour plus overtime and realize how, how great it can be. And one yeah. of the, one of the first things these companies will do, will say, it will say like, Oh, that, that's impossible to figure out. And even if you don't want to pay your drivers by the hour, you can still figure out the overtime pay just by, you know, checking their logs, you know, back, back in the day when it was, you know, you had to wait for all your paperwork to get mailed into the office somewhere and have them crunch the numbers and stuff. That's gone. Everything is all computer. It's instant. Everybody's got a calculator in their pockets with their phones. They can easily, easily, solve this pay issue oh yeah they have they they mandated elds that they, they have all this surveillance data because yep. you know we always talk about this new technology having the trucks with the e-logs with the front-facing cameras so they can't just be like oh well we can't do the math it's like well no you created the tech that can absolutely figure yeah. this out yeah, yeah and i it goes beyond pay that this it's a safety thing because i believe gord had that that gentleman uh chance or chase the gentleman from edison yeah, motors Yep. He, yeah, he said it. Too. Yeah. Really great guy. I'm, I'm hoping to talk to him soon. He specifically said, you know, he's like in the, from the economic standpoint, people respond to incentives. So if they're paid mm-hmm. by the mile, they're going to drive like they're paid by the mile. So they're going to drive and drive in bad weather, take more risks, speed, you know, yep. when they're in traffic, they'll be riding up somebody. And it's like, so even from the safety standpoint, paying somebody by the hour, of course, they're going to sit back in traffic and be like, huh. Yeah. 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 When I was, when I was, when I was a contractor, our contract paid a minimum of 12 hours a day. So during the week, you know, I wasn't going to finish that route in 12 hours, but on Sundays I could finish it in like 10 and a half. So I, I could cruise up and down 95, no problem on Sundays. Cause there's no traffic. And then, uh, you know, I finished that day 10, 10 and a half hours, but I get paid for 12. So it was, it was sweet. Um, I had a buddy who worked at Canva. Um, I'm sorry, Car- okay, Carvana, and those, um, the guys hauling cars for them, they're paid salary. So whether you're driving your ass really? off, yeah, yeah. So whether you're either if you're driving your ass off or taking your sweet time, they're paid the same. And so he said, well, a lot of guys they drove like maniacs because if you could finish your route the faster during that day, you're still paid the same. Yeah. So they're just dri- yeah driving as fast as possible. I, I yep. had no idea that with Carvana. Yeah. See, that's yeah, and that, and that company's a mess right now too because it was. It's the same thing you see at a lot of companies where, you know, during orientation, it's all safety this and safety that. But then once you're actually in the truck and moving, it's like, okay, you guys got to pick up the pace. You got to go. You got customers. So it's like you're you're told one thing and then asked of 
other things once you're, once you're actually running. And uh, that's, yeah, that's just, that's figure. just not, that's not any way you can operate a company. Yeah. That, that's another problem with some of the, the mega carriers, you know, you see the videos like that. Yeah. They'll preach all this safety stuff. And then when you're out there, you know, they'll tell, they'll tell you that they'll tell you otherwise. Yeah. But, the mic, the, mic, the micromanaging is a, uh, I'm going to go on a little rant here about that too. That is the complete opposite way of the way of how the trucking industry needs to run right now. Um, you know, most people that get into truck driving are like, I'll, I'll use our friend Gordon as an example. He has such a great name for his Substack driver autonomy, you know, and mm-hmm. all of this tech, the surveillance, the, you know, big brother isn't a good word for it. Cause big brother is like the state peering in on this. We need it. We need new words for these kinds of things. You know, whether we use little brother, big mama, big papa, I don't care. But this, this idea of a camera sitting in your face 24 seven, monitoring your eye movement, monitoring your blinking, monitoring your breathing. Forget trucking. Nobody wants to have a camera in their face 24-7. You know, most convenience stores at least have the camera at the back of their head. And it's for their for their safety and security. You don't have it like right in your face as you would as a truck driver. And that just completely takes out your your autonomy, your free will, how you want to drive. And no nobody wants to be nannied to death. And so any any truck driver worth their salt as soon as any company starts to put that wherever they're working, they bounce, they go to some other carrier that's not doing it. So I see, you know, fast forward four or five, 10 years from now, as more and more carriers adopt this technology, they're pushing out all of their best talent. And so now the only people that will come into working at these carriers are the bottom of the barrel, the drivers that are completely desperate and and the only ones that are willing to work under those kind of conditions. And I think by that time, so many of the older guys that have that memory of what trucking was like before all this stuff are gone. That's just what everyone's going to assume trucking is like, period. And I think by then it's, it's going to be too late. And like yeah. you said, none of this, none of this solves security. None of it solves safety. None of it fixes anything. It's it's just more crap that drivers have to put up with basically. Yeah. They're making, it's more crap drivers are putting up with. And I talked about this with, um, you know, Reed, who I believe you have crossed paths on Twitter too. Reed, uh, who is trying to develop the lost freight, his technology of where brokers can find carriers. Mm -hmm. Um, We're all kind of in the same threads sometimes on Twitter. He mentions that, that this tech is just kind of being made almost arbitrarily and for for no reason. And it's really what it's doing is it's just going, it's being made because they know that there's people with with money who's willing to pay for it, and the insurance companies are in on it. And yeah. these these cam eventually, the, the when it comes to the cameras, the insurance companies are going to require it, even for the independent owner operator. They're going to be like, oh, you know, you, if you have a carrier authority, if you have a US DOT number, you're get you have to get this. The same thing they did with the ELD. Yeah, and the and the carriers that don't want it are going to have to either self insure, like a lot of the mega mega carriers are, because maybe the mega carriers can't get insurance companies to cover them. They have to they have to self insure. The post office is self insured. Um, a lot of the mega carriers, I, I don't know which ones exactly are, um, but I believe I believe it was Gord who told me the same thing. And a lot of them are are self insured because they can't get insurance because the the the, the rates of accidents are so high. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I, I, this might be urban legend, but I'd always heard that one of the reasons why Schneider trucks are painted orange is because they got a discount <laughs> on their on their insurance rates. Because uh, that, that's easy. like a car, that's like a car insurance myth. Like, oh, you got a red car, yeah, your insurance yeah. rates gonna be higher. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a funny one about Schneider. But yeah, Pam was self insured. They 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 were one. I I that was you know with the company I started with. Yeah, they're all self insured because all because I mean 
you know, 90% of their drivers are new every three months. Yeah. And I, I, I tell people often, I'm like, people don't get that their general freight of all kinds in this country is every three months is being driven by somebody brand new. It's like, yep. imagine you're the police department in your town where every three months, brand new cops. Yeah. Yep. Like, that's and it's that's not a bad way of putting it. That's your general freight. That's your food. That's everything. That's like most. That's not like what I'm hauling, like specialized John Deere. That's not the loggers. Yeah, those are probably the industry specific professionals who, you know, who are staying around. But there's very, very few of that moving. You're all your freight, all kinds new guys every three months. Yeah. And that, and that was me. You know, I, I did that for 18 months and you, you kind of learn early on that, you know, as long as you're not a total screw up, um, you can pretty much go wherever you want. You know, once, once you get your two years, that's always what you see in the job, job postings is, you know, 18 months or two years experience. Um, you do that and you got a clean record. Um, you know, the world's your oyster. You, you can go wherever you want. You know, it's, it's all a matter of what kind of endorsements you have after that. Yeah. It's all about what, where, where you want to go specifically. And that, and that's the thing, guys aren't sticking around long enough to even go that way. And then the ones that do yeah. end up going specialized. So like that leaves you with all of your general freight being hauled by new buyer because your oil, your logs, your heavy equipment, the professionals, the people who did become the professionals, they're all over there, but your other stuff where the accidents are coming and your general freight, it's all by new guys. Yeah. And then, you know, this, this talk about like a driver shortage, you know, if, if you really want to get technical with it, I call it a pipeline, you know, the, the new driver to experienced driver to greener grass pipeline is completely breaking down. So like when I, when I joined in 2007, you know, once, once I got my experience, I couldn't really get hired anywhere, but that was like, because of the economy. Once, once I got out of that, I could, I could go anywhere now, you know, everyone's so desperate for hiring drivers right now. I, I could really, you know, God forbid something happens, you know, with, with this job I'm at now, I, I can always keep, keep moving. I, I keep my CDL uh, valid, but the pipeline of drivers becoming new into the industry, getting experience and going on to other, other companies has completely broken down. And so it's the companies, it's not so much the, the, the mega carriers are always going to complain about a truck driver shortage until they fix the, turnover rate, which I don't see happening anytime soon, they're always going to be complaining about a shortage. But companies like Walmart, you know, this was the first time ever, I believe, that they were complaining about a driver shortage. You know, when I started, it was Walmart and Harley-Davidson were like the two hardest companies to get into as a truck driver. Um, and I think within a year, Harley-Davidson no longer had a trucking division. They just contracted out. And um, I believe when I left Schneider, it was it was still really really hard to get into uh, Walmart had a higher rejection rate than like Stanford or Harvard like one, one of the yeah. one of the yeah one of the Ivy League schools they had like they had like a three percent acceptance rate of anyone who applied and now I believe it's like sixty percent of anyone who applies at Walmart uh, actually gets a job there now because they were it was so sweet for so long and their their fleet had gotten so old that guys were retiring faster than they could be replaced and that's exactly the same story at the post office. And that was why I came in. When I when I joined the Postal Service, where I was at in Philadelphia, we had 240-something drivers total. And I believe they were 27 or 28 drivers short when I was hired on. And when I when I quit five years later, they were still like 27 drivers short. Damn. Guy, because as, and then uh, along comes COVID. And it was basically like an accelerant on everything. You know, guys that would have retired in five, ten years were like, nope, I'm out of here. You know, they, they jumped ship uh, as soon as they... As soon as they did the math and they realized how much money they were going to be making per month with their thrift savings plan, their pension and all that, they were like, okay, I can live off of this. And then if, if they need to, they can always get another job somewhere else yeah. part-time. 
So even that pipeline of experience into it goes. But yeah, with Walmart, I had seen that they're now launching a, a program for Walmart associates. Like if you just already work yeah. at Walmart to, I, to I, become a driver. That, I mean, kudos, and kudos to them. Because I did a tour of an Amazon fulfillment center years ago, pre-COVID. Back, I think they still allow it now. Um, but basically, if you have a fulfillment center in your area, you just go on their website and you know sign up for a tour. And they, they let you see all kinds of stuff. And they're pretty, they're pretty open about it. But one of the things that I found remarkable about walking inside of an Amazon facility versus the post office facility where we worked at was they had flat screen TVs all over the place. And so do we. And it'll be like company messages, you know, happy birthday announcements, job openings, et cetera. But at Amazon, it would be, hey, get your CDL, get your bachelor's degree. We'll, we'll train you to do whatever you want. Just for the love of God, start moving some, some packages. You know, so even if you hate where you're working at at Amazon, they will literally train you to do anything else as long as you're there working. And it's the complete opposite at the post office. If you get hired on as a letter carrier, you're going to be a letter carrier to the day you die. If you get hired on as a truck, unless you go into management or something, um, mm-hmm. the idea the idea of crossing crafts is completely anti- and and that's partly a, like a union thing. The idea of crossing crafts is like a cardinal sin there. Whereas Amazon's like we don't care what you do here as long as as long as shit gets moved and yeah. I, I every single day i would be in the truck at the post office and guys would come up to me that were letter carriers like hey how do i uh, be a truck driver at the post office and i had nothing to advise i was like you gotta quit go to truck driving school bust your ass for two years somewhere else and then wait for a job opening here to pop up and then reapply and they're like well fuck that because i've been here 13 years and i'm not losing my seniority you know, over that. Um, and it's, there, there is no option. If, if you're a postal employee and you're sworn and you're, they call it swearing. Actually. So as a, as a postal employee, you take, you take an oath of office while you're there. Oh yeah. 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 It, it was, it was really cool. And um, yeah, once you're sworn in and then you make regular, you're, you're set for life, but you're going to be stuck doing that same job you do until you retire. Whereas Amazon, Amazon is like super flexible. They're like, you do whatever you, whatever you want, whatever you need to, as long as there's an opening. And I'm really glad to see that Walmart uh, is opening up that as well. Cause there's so many associates there. That's all you hear about is how poorly treated the, the warehouse people, the cashiers, the, the, the stock trucks and all that are treated. Um, but the, ha- and then, but the truck drivers are like some of the best treated in the industry. Oh dude, they're the happiest people before, yeah. before we jumped on. I told you I've met a bunch of Walmart drivers when I pulled Walmart, uh, trailers at pam and walmart drivers man they you know they were older guys but all of them you know you know they loved uh they loved their job i remember talking to one guy specifically because i was driving at pam he's always he's like oh my brother's at pam he's you know i you know once he gets his experience he's gonna be he's gonna be coming right over here i told i mean walmart's pto is like un, is unheard of yeah, yeah. in the industry like they get they like you end like you start off with I think you start off with, I don't know what they start off with, but it's more than you start off with an any mega carry. I mean, I think they get over, they have rotating holidays, you know, it's, it's a hundred, regional. it's 120 K now. So when, when I first told my manager at the time, yeah, I and was, the pay. yeah so back, back, this was back in 20, 2020, I believe it was 87,000 is what they were starting guys at. And I told my manager at the time and she, and even, even she was like, what 87,000. She's like, that's how much I make here. You know, as as a manager at the post office in charge of like you know two hundred plus drivers, so she was livid about that, and now it's even higher than that. I I just I couldn't believe it. Yeah, but again, no, they, it was they they, they, well. they yeah, and they and they brag about you know the number one reason our drivers quit is for retirement. 
And so, no, I'm really, I'm really glad that they have um, an opportunity like that. One of the only friends of mine in Florida who took my advice to, you know, go into trucking, he started at um, CRST, you know, another mega carrier and man, they did not pay anything back then. He was making 20, 22 cents a mile as a team driver. So yeah, they take all, so they take the total mileage of the truck at the end of the week and they split it 50-50 between him and the other guy. So they're actually making 11 cents a mile. And they were hauling PlayStations and Xboxes and cigarettes. And I mean, like the most high value cargo imaginable, but they're making their most junior guys haul it because one, it pays the company the most and they pay the, they pay those drivers the least. So I, I really wish mega carriers would stop, stop doing it. They did the same thing to my parents too. The first load my parents had when they uh, were released uh, on their own was cigarettes for Schneider. And I was like, good God, I can't believe they're like, I mean, they, they did, they didn't really do squirrely stuff like that with me. Most of my stuff early on was like toilet paper. <laughs> I'm sure you can, you can attest to this. It's, it is insane how much toilet paper gets moved in this country. I would say, oh, yeah, babe. I would say a people third woke of, up to that when yep, COVID uh, happened. Yeah. Well, and what was, what was nice about this. So when I saw the toilet paper shortage happening, I was like, okay, this is going to suck for like the next week or two, but those store shelves are going to be full within a month. I guarantee it. Cause there's so much that gets moved and there's so many toilet paper factories in the country. Yeah, but then when the, no idea. but then when the baby formula shortages were happening and like the tampon shortages, those are totally different because they're all centralized. You know, there's, there's literally one factory and I, I believe it was, um, uh, Minnesota, I want to say that makes all of like 90% of the baby formula in the country. So when that plant shuts down, like nobody's getting formula. And then tampons, I believe, are also like made from like one plant in the country. So it, yeah, this the the supply chain, I think the weaknesses were shown very quickly and very fast because of COVID. You know, th- th- they were stretched thin to begin with, and any kind of weakness or vulnerability on a on a system like that is going to get snapped very quickly. So I, I think companies I've talked to going forward, I, th- I think um, reshoring is a big thing. Uh, in the next five years is going to happen and also more decentralization. You're going to have more, instead of like one big centralized factory, there's going to be smaller ones you know, popped up here and there. I think, yeah, that I think people have taken note of the Walmart method because that's how Walmart has, that was their, that was their method from the get go was mm-hmm. like, uh, you can't have a store within X amount of miles from a distribution center. Yeah. And the distribution centers run off of, stuff in actually you know they do get stuff from all over but the distribution centers get stuff from the local area when i was pulling walmarts i saw that i mean i would take a loaded trailer to a store grab an empty go to a customer get loaded with uh food products or ladders or tools whatever it may be and then that went to another dc like you know a hundred miles away and i think people have are kind of learning off that Walmart method, which really, I mean, that's how, that's how things were, was, you know, in pre deregulation, that's how kind of freight moved. It wasn't yeah. so, you know, shotgun splattered everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot to, forgot the story about my friend. So he, uh, he started with the uh, CRST and he was loyal. Like he did not want to quit them. And I was trying to, I was like, dude, his name was Jesse. I was like, Jesse, they're, an- you, they're another shit bag company. You have, I was like, dude, you have no idea how, how poorly you're getting paid there. You, you need to find somewhere else. He's like, nah, they've, they've treated me. Okay. I don't want to. And there are guys like that. You know, it doesn't matter where they're at, how poorly they're treated. They just, again, it's the W you know versus the W you don't. And um, he, he finally, finally quit them. And I believe he was, he went with Conway and maybe it was Conway or some other company. He was hauling beer up in like Massachusetts for a bit. I think he did that for like two years and then he applied at Walmart and uh, he worked at Walmart up there for a bit. And now he's with Walmart down in Texas 
And he was like, dude, my first year I made like 105. And I think now he's like over 150 every year, like easy. And so, yeah, more, I'm, I'm like super happy and super proud of him. If I didn't yeah. have a, if I didn't have a, a wife and kid and stuff, I, I would have gone to Walmart like yesterday. I mean, they, it's, it's not a bad place to be as a driver right now. Yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't own my truck and in reality, being with Warren is going to get me home more anyways, because they're up and down 35 a lot. But if I wasn't an owner operator at the moment, I would have already been with Walmart or I would have been with like a regional flatbed company. I'm really into the flatbed work. I, I, I think it's awesome. It's, a, you know, it's a, it's one of those, you know, it's like real trucking, as guys, as <laughs> some guys might say. But, you know, with Walmart, I live 20 minutes from a DC and it's a regional gig with the best PTO. You know, you're out yeah. five back for, you know, your weekends off, you know, it's, it's, it's a solid gig. So it's still manageable, even if you have a family. Yeah. I think a lot of the mega carriers, that's the thing. Walmart could be, because Walmart gets a lot of a, a bad rap for, you know, you know, employees not getting paid a lot. And this is like one of their shining lights where they can be like, look at these other trucking companies, yeah. you know, and then look at us. And I think that they can help. I don't know. Maybe you should maybe you should reach out to Walmart, see who you could talk to from there. Yeah, there's there a lot of their drivers are on TikTok. I'm in the works. Um, this guy, Max, uh, he's pretty big on there. He does. He does a lot of shit talking back and forth with other, you know, one of the great things about the the power of a platform like TikTok is, you know, it's 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 face-to-face so you're not really hidden behind the keyboard so to speak like like via twitter um but i i think that like directs like face-to-face as as well as it can be on a platform like tiktok is like super powerful because you you can tell very quickly like the body language certain people are more comfortable in front of the camera than others but you can you can tell very quickly whether or not someone's really talking out their ass uh, i video. I love that about it. Like I, and I know TikTok, and I've said this before. TikTok is, you know, China's obviously spying on us. It's oh, yeah. Chinese malware. Um, you know, it's ripping society apart. You know, you've got kids who are telling kids to jump off of buildings or whatever the fuck it is. Every doing. every week, there's a new stupid challenge. Yeah, new new challenge. I get it, but it's insane what it has done for drivers for the and for the reason yeah. you just said, like the body languages, because a lot of these drivers, like they're not used to talking on camera. Like you could tell when you see a driver being like, "Hey, driver!" Like they're in the camera like this. They're like, "Hey, drivers." I was at this truck stop, like they're speaking, but but like it's become such a network for drivers to learn about these companies and transparency. There's a kid mm-hmm. I, I follow. I'm trying to get him on the show too. He's just, re- he's busy. He's a flat better too. He, um, this guy, Jesse Barrymore, maybe you follow him. He's a, he works for central Oregon truck lines. He's a if flat I, better. If I saw a video of him or a face, I'm terrible with yeah. names. It's, it's like one of my biggest weaknesses it's something i really yeah. need to improve on i don't know great, how great, i remember him i'm great with faces if i'm if i'm swiping if i see somebody i haven't seen since like high school i'll recognize them immediately i won't know their name yeah <laughs> he's he's cool he's got like longer blonde hair he's always hanging out with this other guy joe seppi who's another popular guy on there and they're flapping and all they do is just make videos talking about their day but what they've done is they're they are super open about the pay and yeah. like they they will go over what they got paid for how many miles for their tarp pay. And then, and then there's guys with Landstar doing that now too, who owner ops with Landstar up oh, here were my loads. And so like, that's the thing because some companies will say this and they'll say that, but like now drivers around there. And the thing is the drivers got, those guys aren't getting paid by central Oregon guys from Landstar are literally paying to be there. If you think about it, like I'm about to make a video about Warren because guys need to be there. Warren's not going to give me money for that stuff. And like the network and the, I think the, what it's done for drivers is helping the industry 
Um, and if that's one good thing about TikTok, it's, it's it's a it's a CB radio that like reaches across the entire planet, but not in the way that like an annoying prick like Mud Duck does. You know, thank thank God I, I was never on the road long enough to like hear this idiot. Um, but didn't really have we had a CB radio in the truck when we were hauling yeah. explosives. When we were hauling explosives, we had a, a CB in the truck, but it was detuned because you don't want to have a radio powerful enough to set off your explosives. And then in the post office, we just we're all in the city, so we never really needed CBs. Um, but yeah, anytime I mention him on TikTok, man, people in, immediately in the comments they're like, "I fucking hate this guy. He's a piece of shit." Um, hey, hey but, yeah, man, safety first out there on those highways and byways. Highways and byways. <laughs> yeah. Don't but be a window he, liquor. My 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 friend Drew Drew Epler, he has a radio from him that he bought years and years ago, and he's like, "Dude, it's a fucking sweet radio. Guy knows his shit." But uh, I don't think most drivers care. They want him dead. Yeah, no, the, the non-CB guys. I know a guy uh, back in Connecticut who's like, a, he's like a CB freak, and he and he's not a truck tr- truck driver or anything. But the CB community, oh yeah, they dude. There's guys who call the FCC on Mud yeah. Duck. They like they hate him so much. They they keep trying to call the FCC because there's there's like a conspiracy of like whether or not he either he's got like a super powerful antenna and he's just blasting everybody, and then there's others that are like. No, he's doing it legally, but he's doing like the atmospheric skip or he has like guys who relay his signal that he pays for. So it's there's like you can go there's hours and hours and hours of YouTube videos back and forth where he'll he'll talk shit on one channel and that channel will talk shit on him. And it's literally like each video is like three hours long a piece. And I was like, I I I was doing some research on a TikTok on this and I was like, I I can't spend I'll, I'll be reading about this shit all week. Just, yeah, for, for, but but for, it's 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 tons of juicy drama to say the least. Yeah, for any non-drivers listening, it's a it's an interesting rabbit hole to go down of mud mud duck in the desert out of Las <laughs> Cruces, New Mexico. He's a he's well known in the CB world. So if you're a non-driver, look it up. It's a it's a quite a wild story. But yeah, that's that's what TikTok's done, and I I can tell. Um, I just want to tell you know the people listening here, um, definitely like you're you're doing good work on there your videos. Or, I, I think that's, what's going to get this message out there, but uh, it, you know, we're, we're at, you know, we're at over 90 minutes now, which I'm super pumped about. Like I said, yeah. we can, and I, you know, if there's anything else you want to, you want to lay it down, uh, feel free. But um, I mean, if not, where can they find you? Where can, where, th- where, where can they, they look you up? Well, so I was, I was at Ruther Glen, Virginia, the, the TA, I believe it was a TA at the time. Now I think it's a flying J. And there was a truck next to me that had his windows busted out. And there's this shattered glass all over the ground. And I don't know why, but it, it like made me think of like the username Super Trucker. And so that was my super, that was my Twitter handle from like the beginning to 2009. I had the account. Um, so that's that's where I'm at on, on Twitter is Super Trucker. But the name is totally ironic. You know, I, I, w- I got in an argument with one guy about a month ago saying that, you know, how, how dare I have the handle Super Trucker? Because Super Trucker means you're an idiot and you don't really know what you're talking about. And I'm like... That's yeah. the best part. <laughs> I, I, I before the show started, for anybody who's hopefully still listening, I said that I was like, "You are so." People would pay for that like handle at this point of being super I, trucker because it's such I, I a insult. I, yeah. <laughs> I think so, and it wasn't really that big of an account. Like I, I was under like 500 users for like over you know over a decade, and I really didn't do much with Twitter. I would get random trucking companies like add themselves as, as like friends of, to, to me. And I'm like blocking them left and right because I'm like, I'm not using this for trucking, man. This is like my personal Twitter. I'm not using it to promote anything. And then um, 
when I got hired at Freight Waves, they always introduced me as Justin Super Trucker Martin, and I'm like, guys, you really got to stop doing that because the yeah, name is like the, the name. The name's ironic, and it's also kind of like an insult. Like they just they like the name Super Trucker. They're like, that's a, that's a great name. We love it. And I'm like, yeah, but it's it's like stupid McStupid Face is what I'm calling myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like trying to you know at least at least my public face. I'm trying to shuffle away from that. But everything so yeah, super, at Super Trucker is my Twitter. Um, you can find us at Back the Truck on Twitter. Some other jerk already had the back the truck up Twitter handle. Um, but then we're also on TikTok at back the truck up, Instagram, uh, back the truck. I feel like Facebook and Instagram are like my two weak points right now on, on social media. Those are those are the two platforms that I feel anyway that like I'm not utilizing to its maximal potential, especially Facebook. A lot of truck drivers we talked to are like, dude, there's like huge Facebook trucking communities on there. And they're a really tough nut to crack, especially as like a, a media company, because they have so many rules against self-promotion, et cetera. So if I if I go on there as my Justin Martin Facebook account and I start posting, you know, back to truckup.com articles, they're gonna ban me as soon as they find out that I work there. Or if I go there as back to truck up, like I get blocked immediately. So it's it's a tough nut to crack. I I think as we're growing more on other platforms, I'm hoping like that name recognition kind of gets spread. Um, and that's kind of my mission on going on platforms such as yourself. And um, I'm doing another interview on our show with a, a couple called Married to the Road. Um, they have a pretty oh, sizable, yeah. they have a pretty sizable following. Yeah, they're, Talk they're... to them about the NADRA that I, okay. we talked about offline. They'll they'll want to talk to you about that, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, just just briefly, I would mention if, you, if you're going to be on these types of platforms. So, so I'll give you an example. Um, when I one of the first like major screw ups I did on, on TikTok was I kind of put on blast this uh, amazing driver, Leland Schmidt. Um, if you haven't talked to him, you, you definitely should have him on your show. He's amazing. He had this brilliant idea of filing a, a petition for uh, an exemption from his hours of service with the FMCSA as an individual. There are tons and tons and tons of companies out there that get exemptions for all kinds of things, but it goes based on the type of freight you're hauling, not the person behind the wheel. So you could have somebody with a CDL for six months driving however the hell they want, but because they're hauling bottled water or face masks or rubber gloves, all the hours of service rules get tossed out the window. And so Leland had this idea of like, Hey, I've been driving for, you know, 30 plus years. I have a stellar record. You know, I have no problem whatsoever. I just don't like the 11 hour rule. He's like, I want to be able to, he wasn't asking to um, drive over his 11 hours. I'm sorry, the 10 hour rule. He wanted an exemption from getting the 10 hour reset. He wanted to be able to take a break when he felt like he needed to and didn't want to drive more than 11 hours in a 24 hour period. And I did the video based on a summary of a summary of his petition. So I got some like major, some pretty major facts wrong about it. And I, I said in the opening statement of the video, I was like, check out the audacity of this driver, like thinking he can like run however the hell he wants and just kind of, put it out there, put my phone away and just never thought about it on my notification settings on TikTok. I have everything pretty much turned off, but stuff still gets through to my phone. Like if something major, if I get like a thousand comments on something, my phone will still be like, Hey man, you got some shit happening on TikTok. So I'll open up the app. And I had this woman, Lisa Schmidt, his wife, just full on, just giving me both barrels. Just like you're a fucking moron. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. More, more politely than that, but just very restricted. Like you're, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. So I'm thinking, Oh my God. Okay. I really, I really screwed up, screwed up here. So I, we messaged back and forth. I apologized profusely. I was like, tell me, tell me exactly what I did wrong. And she, she gave me like the full facts of like what they're doing, what their plan was. And they're like, this is excellent. Can I call you guys tomorrow? 
So then we spoke on the phone for a good hour and a half, two hours. And I was like, okay, my company wants us to, to launch a podcast next week. And I want you guys to be our first guest. And we could totally hash this out and figure out what to do going forward. And I told him, I'm, I'm going to one issue an apology video. I'm, I'm going to keep the original up. I don't want people to think that like I got something wrong and I'm going to hide, you know, my embarrassment and then, you know, pretend it never happened. Like I want that up there and I want people to realize like I, I screwed up. I, I take ownership of this. And that I think really kind of opened up the door to everything on TikTok because drivers can still go back and see those old videos where I screw stuff up, apologize for it and said, this is what I got wrong. And then in the comments, people say, dude, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's so nice of you to like own up to that shit. And I, I think that's a really good way of like growing your platform and brand going forward is if, if you got something wrong, own up to it and then, and then take corrective action going forward. And yeah. and, and, the, and the Schmitz and I have been, have been uh, great friends ever since we were going to meet at Matt's hopefully um, in March, April. So that'll be, that'll, I hope to meet them too. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're a great couple. I, so I've the, talked to them on TikTok. I'm looking forward to yeah, meeting them. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. So the, the plan with them was, the FMCSA is like this just behemoth of a government agency and trying to get anything done, trying to get any changes through them is really hard because they're, they're so big and, and it's and, and cumbersome. So they're basically trying to get like the gun of the government aimed at its own head and pulling the trigger on themselves because the plan was we're going to, we're going to file a petition. If it fails, no problem. We just keep filing. Um, you ever see the movie Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, like, when when Andy Dufresne's like mailing a letter every week to the congressman to get le- uh, money for their their library, mm-hmm. and then finally after a year they get a letter back saying, "Please just take the money. Stop stop writing letters." And they go, "Okay, now we write two letters a week." That's that's their plan. Is that they're going to keep they're going to keep filing and filing and filing until either they get granted or they have nothing left to really deny them on. Once they get granted, they're going to pivot to filing on behalf of other drivers that want to have exemptions as well and then hopefully the thinking is that hopefully they get so overwhelmed with so many drivers you know petitioning uh for an hour hours of exemption that they finally listen because that's that's the problem right now it's just there's nobody there's nobody listening you know they yeah they, they they'll post stuff online and they'll have like a commentary period and then maybe they get a couple hundred maybe a couple thousand comments but you know, it's it's kind of like the um the, the speed limiter mandate that's coming down. Yeah, the you're, you're talking that's, about the FMCSA. Yeah, they don't listen. Yeah, for yeah. some reason. Well, they do. There there is there are there is like a, a staff of people that, that read all these comments. I, I talk to people from FMCSA, and they say they 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 do read everything. But it's like, thanks anyway. As they just keep going. So yeah, they'll back read to it. Regularly but, scheduled programming. Yeah, they'll they'll read it, but they're not going to consider anything. So what what they're wanting to do is literally grind them to a screeching halt and just have them so overwhelmed that people, people finally get hurt. And that's, and that's not what's happening right now. I like that method. And I talked about this with uh, Matt Kilmer and that that's the, because the days of Hoffa are gone. Like you said, that mentality. Um, I said, I've said it before online. I got really angry on Instagram. Once I said, I'm going to be the next, (laughs) I I said, I'm going to be the next Hoffa, which I I would like to be. But um, in reality, those days are gone. People are too afraid of the long arm of the, of the federal government. In reality, the the only way to do things now is to do is to troll them to death. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the, all you can do is is by trolling, flaming them online. But yeah, send their office 10,000 of a letter daily or you keep calling daily, like that's the only way to get, and, get, and get it. And if you want to get really cynical with it too, 
as, as cynical as you think you are or need to be, you're not cynical enough because here's what happens when somebody comes up with this rule or an idea that they want to like, so like say somebody comes up with an ELD mandate, they're like, okay, this is the plan. We're going to implement the plan. And you know, it's just, it's just going to happen no matter what, whoever came up with that plan, as soon as it's implemented, they retire, they're gone. So fast, fast forward six months to five years from after it's implemented and like safety isn't increasing and accidents are still through the roof and guys are still washing out of the industry. By the time they want to like look around and point fingers and say, okay, who got us in this mess? That person's gone. And it's, it's, it's the case for everything that gets passed. You know, somebody comes up with the idea, the idea is put into motion. And one of the, one of the things you notice early on in the, in the post office too, it's, it's the same thinking in, in government agencies. It's like, Somebody comes with a plan, the plan gets put into motion. And then when reality hits and things aren't going according to plan, rather than say, okay, we screwed up. The plan's not working right. The thinking is, oh, we're just not implementing the plan hard enough. And I, I would see that all the time at the post office. They had, they had this idea of changing the way certain routes worked. And I said, great, I would love to see how this works because I was all fully on board with it. And then within like six weeks, I was like, dude, we need to stop doing this. You're, you're wasting so much time. There are drivers that are being, you know, if it takes you 15 minutes to get unloaded some, somewhere and you got seven drivers lined up, you know, that's the, that, the last person in line is going to be there for o- over two hours. But the thinking was, oh, no, we're just going to keep doing it until they until they get with the flow. And nope, there's still... There are still post office drivers right now getting crazy over time because they they get to that facility and they're waiting and they don't care. They're not they're not going to rock the boat. Yeah, <laughs> so you, easy, out. easy easiest overtime they've ever made. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they the regulation goes in place and then instead of fixing it, they they add to it. Yeah. They, yeah. Well, this wasn't even this wasn't even regulations. This was just an idea somebody had. But you you scale that up to you know the entire industry and that and that's the that's the fallout that happens. It's like. Um, you know, somebody has an idea and then it's the plan starts going sideways and they never thought, stop and think, okay, okay, we got to stop this or try something else. And I think that's why companies like Amazon are doing so much better at this kind of stuff is they'll literally throw a thousand things to the wall, see what sticks and anything that's not working, they kill immediately. Amazon, Amazon wastes no time whatsoever on killing something that doesn't work. And that's the, that's the benefit sometimes of that, uh, you know, of a company like Amazon, not being unionized is that yeah. they 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 work at that level that they're they're looking for efficiency you know it you know they're 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 not going to sit around and waste time and make these ideas and have guys collect overtime on it because that's just more money out of their pocket that they don't have yeah no that, i like that, it that i know we're, we're we're rambling here but um that oh, i think no, man gonna, I, I love it i'm all about that's, it that's, like, that's going to be a thing that bites them in the ass too eventually um i believe it was phoenix arizona they are sometime within this year they are literally going to run out of people that they can hire in phoenix arizona oh at amazon turnover yeah yeah, yeah because it's, it's not sustainable just like yep. on our side of things yeah because yeah. at least with, with with trucking you know you, you go to school you get your cdl and, and then you get into the industry whereas amazon if you're working at the warehouse they can literally hire anyone off the street so they're already dealing with a much higher, a much larger hiring pool, but even that pool is still a limited number of people, and it's, it's by design. Like they, when you go to the post office, you, you got letter carriers and, and mail handlers there that have been working there for 20, 30, 40 plus years, um, but you go into an Amazon warehouse, two years maybe, if that. You know, they they have these jobs with the intention of having a high turnover rate, so that there's never anyone that sits there and goes. Oh, we should probably like maybe you know fix some things around here. It's literally like, oh, you start looking out, and there's always a, a, another fresh body right behind them. But I, what's happening now is they're, they're literally running out of people 
um, uh, to hire. And I, and I see that happening in the trucking industry too. You know, you, first they, when, when I was hired, the idea was they were going to get all these GIs coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, get them CDLs and then, you know, get grants from the government and, and keep them rolling. And that kind of fell off. And then, and then it was, uh, you know, we're importing drivers from Mexico or Haiti or, you know, any, any number of countries overseas, but eventually you're going to run out of other countries, truck drivers, you know? So now the thinking is, well, uh, we're just going to lower the starting age. You know, you don't need to be 21 anymore. You can be 18 and drive a semi truck. And like that, that is going to be a disaster too. Imagine, imagine what you made your first year as a truck driver and compare that to what you made your first year as an 18 year old. Like that's life-changing money right there. But what that's going to have is a, is a downward pressure effect on the, the wages of truck drivers. Because if, if I, as a truck driver now was starting a company, making the same money I did when I first started, I'd be pissed. Like I'm not, I'm not making any kind of money, but my first pay, my, my first year gross as a truck driver was like three times what I was making working retail in South Florida. So yeah, you're going to get this, you're going to get this influx of young guys into the industry. They're going to be making more money than they ever have, but it's going to be a lot less money than the guys that are either, you know, sort of experienced or, or have tons of experience. And that's, that's going to have a huge, huge impact on, on, on wages. And I, I, I'm telling drivers, like a lot of guys are like, yeah, we need, we need this fresh young blood into the industry. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm all for it too. But you got to realize that's, that's going to have a big impact on your wages too. Yeah. And I, 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 and I don't think enough drivers have, have that much forward vision. Yeah. When you lower this, yeah, it's, it, it, that's exactly what it is. It's forward vision. It's, you know, when you, when you lower the standard, there's a lot of things that are come with it, not just the yeah. safety, not just it, that down to the wages. Yeah. Cause yeah. I couldn't imagine. I think my first year at Pam. Yeah. It's, I think I, I, I actually didn't do that bad. I ran pretty good. Um, you know, I was, I think I was on just around 60,000, really nothing, you know, nothing bad at all. And really to, to an 18 year old out of high school. Oh yeah. Fucking solid, I was solid making money. I was making twenty thousand a year full time at Publix as a stock clerk there, and then my first year at Schneider, and this is in two thousand seven, I made forty five thousand that year. And yeah, like double. so, so yeah, so again, not not life changing money. I mean, not like terrific money. You know, it's not Walmart money today, but you know, going from twenty thousand to forty five thousand, that's that's a huge difference. Plus, I had no car, no house, you know, no wife, no kids, or anything like that. So whatever money it's stupidly whatever money i was making i was you know spending it traveling and stuff or buying pocket knives yeah. <laughs> should have been should have been saving my money <laughs> yeah I, I trust me i say the same thing too but yeah i mean we got we got a long road ahead i mean hey it's, the best thing we can do and the best thing you said we could do it's the reason the that's the reason why i wanted to have you on the podcast is so we can just have just so we could just sh- shoot the shit and talk about this stuff because that's that's what needs to happen uh, amongst drivers. Like guys need to keep talking about it because I think that's yeah. the only way these issues are going get, to start getting solved, man. Yeah. Especially when it comes and, to this pay. And we're not we're not in our own isolated little bubbles anymore. You know, there's there's huge communities on Facebook, but I really I really really think TikTok is like the most powerful platform drivers have right now to like really get the message out. Because again, yeah, you you can lie on line. You you can have you can hide behind an avatar. You, you can be an anonymous person if you want, but that's totally out the window on a platform like TikTok. Yeah, it, it's because t- it, it's just how TikTok runs because you could be a little bit more, but I feel you could still fake it on Instagram because there's a lot of phonies yeah. on Instagram because you can, yeah. you can present it that you can present it that way, but like you can't fake what you're trying to do on TikTok, especially in the trucking world. You can't like, you can't glam it up. 
you can glam up your life. There, on there, were, there was an account very early on, like my, my one of the first people that added us as like a mutual friend. She was like a like a she's like a fitness coach or something, and she would always do like these videos inside of the cab of a truck. And very quickly, people realized like she wasn't driving, like the truck's never running. She's like she's not she's not really a truck driver. Like and she uh, she eventually like came forward. She's like, yes, I'm not really a truck driver, but like I'm passionate about helping the drivers. And you know, it was a big sob story and everything, but one of the challenges for me on the platform is like, I'm literally like in my bedroom in my house. Like I, I'm not behind the wheel right now. So I, I always jokingly say like, I drive a desk now, but I still have 15, I still have 15 years experience behind the wheel. Like you, you can never take that away from me. So it, it is, it is kind of a challenge. I, I, I do miss being on the road um, in that aspect. Like it would, it would be awesome to like sit down at a truck stop with a couple of microphones and just shoot the shit with some drivers in, inside of a diner somewhere. Um, I would love to do that, but there's no, <laughs> there's no truck stops really around me but uh, yeah i'm really hoping to like to bump elbows with as many drivers as i can at mats and get as many contacts as i can because you said it's it's a it's a big world out there and we're all trying to like figure this stuff out yeah man that's then and hey that's why i'm trying to you know just like you yeah you said you're at the desk that's that's part of the reason why i try to i've recorded a few shows at home but i feel like there's something authentic about recording a trucking podcast from Mm -hmm. You know, it says Peter Bill right behind me. This is yep. this is my bedroom. Trust me, I can yeah. show you the Bucky stuffed animal. I can we can go outside. I'm at, I, you know I'm at the loves. Like there's something authentic about that. So I mean, don't worry. You know, don't feel too guilty that you're at the desk. We we need you at the desk. Trust me, doing what you're doing, and you know I I'll, I'll keep doing what I'm doing over here. But um, no, I'm looking forward to Matt's. To anybody who doesn't know, to anybody listening, the largest truck truck show and trucking event in the world is taking place in louisville kentucky um at the louisville expo center march 30th 31st and april 1st and yeah. justin's gonna be there and so am i yeah it's gonna be and, fun uh, yeah, yeah. Initially, we're gonna meet initially, a lot of us we're gonna meet a lot of us who chill on yeah I'm, I'm hoping it's not too big of a uh, a deal there because when, when we first started getting letter the emails from matt's you know it's like any, anyone with like a trucking blog or a trucking website Matt's reached out to everybody and was like, you get a pass and you get a pass and you get a pass. So everyone's getting it free. But then when, when they were emailing my partner in crime here at back the truck up rooster, um, they didn't realize that we worked for freight waves. They just thought we were back the truck up. And so we, we brought the, the freight wave guys on board in the email chain. And then it was like, we're going to get in touch with our higher ups. We will, we will, uh, we'll be in touch. And so now I think, I think the plan now is they're going to try and get us a booth there. Nothing set in stone yet, but I'm hoping we might have a booth there. Um, and then if we can get some merch and stuff to give away, you know, we, we have a really cool, uh, I don't have my hat here, unfortunately, but we, we have a, we have this awesome logo. Dooner, Dooner created this great logo for, for us. Um, we got some cool hats. I'm hoping to get more hats to give away. I'm um, assuming I could just park there. That's what, yeah, uh, yeah. That's no, what they, Paul, they, that's they, what long haul Paul said yep, on yep. his podcast. You it's, can just kind of pull it's up huge. and park. They, they have free truck. Park. I mean, to give you an idea, it's, it's like, Tens of thousands of people are going to be in attendance to this thing. One, because it's free, but they have free truck parking too. So if you're in the area and you've got some time to kill, by all means, come to Louisville, park, park here at the convention center. They'll be more than happy to have you. Yeah. Any of you drivers, any of you drivers definitely come out, come hang out with me. I'll be there. You know, to find where to find me on the socials at Lombard Trucking. But uh, with that, man, unless you got anything else, I, I really appreciate it. You know, this, this, this is the longest episode. We covered a lot of, like I said, you got a great story, man. There's a lot, I got a cousin who works for the post office. He's going to really enjoy hearing what you got to say. Mm. There's a lot of people who don't know about what, go, you know, there's people who want to work for the post office. You, you got a, it's a great, great story. Yeah. It's yeah. still, it's still a great organization. They, they all thought I was insane when I 
turned in my resignation. We literally did not know what form I needed to print out. I had to, I went on Google and typed in PS resignation, post office resignation form. And it's like, P, I'll, I'll make up the number. I'll say like PS 580. And so I walked in the office one day and I was like, hey, can you print me out a PS 580? And they're like, what the hell is that? And I was like, well, print it out and find out. And when it came out of the printer as notice of resignation, they were all like, what? You're doing what? And I was like, I'm starting a truck truck uh, website. And <laughs> it's been it's been a wild ride ever since. So it's an amazing opportunity and I, I get to talk to great guys like yourself and um, it's, uh, I'm just really trying not to let anyone down. You know, I, I get to talk to some really big and powerful people on the inside that drivers don't normally get to talk to. And uh, you know, I'm basically, I, I try to be the megaphone for the drivers to talk through to uh, some of these other, uh, other companies. Yeah. And, and personally, man, I, I can't think of anybody better equipped for the job. You've been everywhere. You've been to the mega carry. You've done yeah. union. You've done hourly. Like just from what you said, you've covered every pay scale. You've been OTR. You've been local. So I really there's nobody better equipped to, uh, you know, take take this fight, you know, to the front lines than you yeah. dude. And it, we really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in Louisville, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun. Awesome. But yeah, we'll leave it there, guys. I'll see you on the next one. And as always, if you ever want to talk. I'll be here. And so will Justin as well. You can find us Later, all everyone. Yep. Take care. Yeah. Come find us.